Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Rewind. I am your host, Travis. And I'm X. And thank you for tuning in to another episode. And uh, boy, do we have a hell of an episode for you guys this week. Seriously? (laughs) (laughs) Is that even a pun? I'm not sure. (laughs) No, it's not a pun. It's a terrible intro joke. It's a dad joke again. It's a word. Yeah. (laughs) Wordplay. Because we're going to be talking, you know, there's a, you know, in about a week or two, we got uh, the new Hellboy movie coming out, the reboot, I guess, if you want to call it that. But uh, we figured now was a good time to revisit the, is it safe to say the classic movies by Guillermo del Toro? Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll say the beloved. (laughs) The beloved. The cult classic, the cult, yeah, the cult favorites. It's kind of culty, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was... Almost mainstream, but not quite. I would even Maybe. say almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not uh, in the world yeah. of Hellboy of, of billion so. dollar uh, franchises. No, 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 no. So uh, yeah, we'll be talking about those two movies, uh, Hellboy, and then uh, Hellboy Two: The Golden Army, and then um, we'll wrap up by giving our thoughts and our anticip- I guess anticipation thoughts, ideas about the, this new. Uh, the new one coming out here. Yeah, anticipation uh, or lack thereof. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned for that. Okay. Um, now we did talk a little bit about Hellboy in a past episode, in the uh, which is in the archives right now. It's oh yeah, what, that's an old one, right? Yeah, that was, years that was a good ago. one. I like that episode. <laughs> it was a that good. Was, ep- it's a really good episode. It was, yeah. and I thought it was an interesting topic because uh, in the in the midst of talking about all the Marvel and DC superhero movies. Uh, we we touched upon we did a whole episode just on non Marvel DC uh, superhero movies. Yeah, we talked and about Crow, talked about Spawn, talked about Tank Girl, and of course Hellboy came up. Yeah, yeah. So we I think actually I used Hell a picture of Hellboy on the image uh, the episode uh, cover art. Ooh. So uh, yeah, um, he's a striking figure. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that one's on YouTube or not. It, whatever. It, but it's in our archives. You can go check it out, download it. And, is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah I made the slides so, myself. Uh, there you go. <laughs> um, so before we get into the actual movies, um, did you want to talk about uh, your uh, 
how you were first introduced to the character, or yeah, what's it was our the movie. understanding? <laughs> okay, it was the first Hellboy movie. I I hadn't um, ever heard of this character. He was, you know, he wasn't. Uh, the first movie came out in two thousand four. The Hellboy mm-hmm. comic was about a decade old. Came out in nineteen ninety three. Uh, created by yeah. a, a writer artist named named Mike Mignola. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I had never read the book. In my early twenties and late teens, you know, I had I wasn't reading a whole lot of comic books, but uh, I had seen Blade Two, and I loved Blade Two. Uh, I thought it was my favorite Blade movie, and I really liked the first Blade movie. So then Hellboy One comes out is like from the director of Blade Two. I was like, oh, that looks interesting. And comic book movies were barely starting to, you know, we had Spider Man and X Men and maybe Ang Lee's Hulk. It was still kind of in the. It's not like it's hit and miss. It was hit or miss. Yeah, yeah, but it's not like today where we get like three Marvel movies, just Marvel movies in one year. Yeah, no you know, every studio was dipping their toes, trying things out. And I thought somebody at the Revolution Studios thought Hellboy might 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 work, might resonate mm-hmm. with the audiences. And so I went to go see it, not expecting. I knew who Ron Perlman was, and I loved him. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool. I mean, I didn't know how pitch perfect he was. I just thought, oh, you know, Ron Perlman, you know, the guy from Alien Resurrection and, and Vincent from Being the Beast and a slew of other uh, obscure movies. His resume is very random <laughs> yeah. up until the 2000s, until Hellboy made him go more mainstream. But I, I liked Hellboy 1. Okay. Uh, what, what were your feelings about it when you saw it? Well, um, I was a... Big comic comic book guy when I was a, in my teens. So, but I was more Marvel DC. So I knew of Hellboy. Um, I may have even passed up on getting the comics here and there, but it was uh, I think that was released by Dark Horse. I mean, I saw it. I knew of it. It was kind of on the fringes of what I was reading, but I just never. I may have picked up one, and but I never actually, you know proper you know did a uh, proper reading of it so i mean i knew of the character but i couldn't tell you any details about him if that makes sense um but yeah and then uh, that movie came out in 2004 and i was like okay hellboy okay cool it makes sense because uh you know like it was pointed out in uh, jane silent bob strike back it's like uh once x-men hit like studios were just trying to pick up any kind of comic book. Snatching up anything uh, they could in their greedy anything, little hands. Anything, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And uh, fortunately, uh, Hellboy was one of them. And um, yeah, I uh, I liked the movie. I liked the movie. I didn't know Del Toro at the time. Um, I was, like you, I was I was familiar with uh, Perlman. But I think I, um, again, I think I remembered him from Alien Resurrection too. Yeah, so, and Ice Pirates. I, I grew up watching Ice Pirates a lot. He's in that. He's the fifth lead, if I recall. Even though he hates that fucking movie, he won't talk about it, which makes me sad. But um, he's been in a lot of. You talk about it, and it's on our it's on our Forgotten Gems <laughs> I episode. I love that you Ice Pirates, about. and he's in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a paycheck move for him. He can't stand that movie. <laughs> uh, also, Mimic. I remember I did see Mimic in high school. Uh, I had already been fired uh, from the theater. But I went there one like Friday night, and I was sort of hanging out by the exits as people were leaving, and you know the doors closing. You kind of like Whoop, catch it just before it closes, <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> snuck in because I can't go in through the front door. And uh, 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 oh, the teenage life. Yeah, 
And my friend, she was she was like a box office person, but has since been promoted to manager. Julie, she's like, she spotted me, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna get busted. She goes, hey, waves me over. What are you doing? <laughs> I just thought I might watch a movie. Here, she hands me like a work schedule of all the movies playing, <laughs> and I was like, oh, Mimics starting soon. I'll go check that one out. It was cool. It was very dark. I don't mean like yeah. tone. I mean like you can't really see a lot of what's going on. <laughs> it's kind of like Relic, um, but it was it was kind of a cool monster movie. So I knew, I only I just remembered his name Guillermo del Toro because I was like, how many Mexican names do you see uh, directing movies these days? And I remembered him from that, and then Blade. So I was kind of looking forward to Hellboy. Uh, I like I said I liked it, and that was the word I used. Mm-hmm. I, looking back, there are things I love about it now that I know more about the character and about sure. Guillermo and the passion mm-hmm. that it took him to get this movie made. It was a real passion project for him. It wasn't like the studio bought the script and then we need to hire a director. Hey, this Del Toro guy just did Blade. Let's get him. That's not how it went down at all. Hmm. Guillermo is a... God, we could almost do a Guillermo spotlight because I love that man's filmography. I love everything that guy does. Everything he touches is brilliant. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't already, to be honest. Yeah, he's a tremendous filmmaker. Like I said, he had only done like four movies before Hellboy. Hellboy was his fifth movie. It's like the midpoint of his career because he's only he's only ever done ten movies. When you think about it, he's not uh, a crazy busy director. So he loves Hellboy, and uh, his first his first movie ever actually was this Mexican film called Chronos. It's kind of a vampire movie, but kind of not. It's hard to describe. And he sent a script to Ron Perlman asking, would you be in this small... Gamera was still in his 20s. I'm going to film it in Mexico. Would you like to come down to Mexico and be in this movie of mine? And Ron was in this Mm. weird phase in the early 90s. uh, Beauty and the Beast had just been canceled. He was getting no work because he's such a niche actor back then. Nobody knew what to do with him. So it was only through random moments. He's got a unique unique look. So I can imagine why... Or how he would have limited <laughs> yeah. opportunities. <laughs> he was mostly known through... He's been called... Ron Perlman... Okay, not... Gosh. I, I'm not done talking about Guillermo, but I got to talk about Ron. <laughs> I mean, he's been referred to as the, the Lon Chaney of our, of our time, of our era. In that he works through makeup a lot. More than a lot of other actors. At least he yeah. used to. You know, his first movie ever, Quest for Fire. Where he plays a caveman. A lot of prosthetics. Mm-hmm. by a French director named Jean-Jacques Arnaud. And then he gets no work for years. And then Jean-Jacques calls him, hey, do you want to play a hunchback in The Name of the Rose? <laughs> he goes and works with Jean-Jacques in The Name of the Rose. And then he gets uh, Beauty and the Beast, the TV show, where he's like a half-lion man seducing Sarah Connor. <laughs> uh, heavy makeup, although it was a very popular show, he won a Golden Globe for that show. Rick Baker did the lion makeup. I don't know if he was actually a lion, but that's what he looked like. He had that weird... Liony cat mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, most of his early career is working under heavy prosthetics. <laughs> uh, so, but he works in the movie Kronos with Guillermo. These guys fall in love, bromance style. And it's really weird that you have this clip up next, which is Kronos, mm-hmm. which broke, which is Guillermo <laughs> del Toro's first film. He was only 29 when he made this. Kronos was the first job I got after those, that three-year period where I couldn't get a job after Beauty and the Beast. And it was due to 
Guillermo del Toro, um, having seen a lot of the monsters that I'd played in. So you've said this script was like unlike anything you'd ever read, but what about it in particular blew your mind? Guillermo's obsession with, with the eternal life aspect of why the vampire, even as, as folklore came to be, is what drove him to make the movie. Did you have any inkling that he would go on to be one of the most important and celebrated directors and filmmakers of his, of his generation? Yeah, I was, I was convinced. You knew. And I, just by looking at his framing, I, I thought, look, oh my God, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm a witness to some very important event. A few years later, Guillermo has a chance to make Blade Two. He calls up his buddy Ron. Hey, want to come work on Blade with me? Ron could use the work. <laughs> sure, I'll be happy to do it. <laughs> Let's go to Prague, make a movie, Blade Two. And of course, as soon as Ron gets on set, all of a sudden his little one-note character starts getting extra scenes, <laughs> extra money. He's just giving all this extra shit to Ron, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a cool role as like the head of the Blood Pack. He was kind of like almost the second villain of the movie. Yeah, yeah, you can say that. I mean, there's but, like that vampire, vampire dude. Yeah, but, you know, there's. Um, I don't know. Blade Two's. I think that's more of an underrated movie, um, especially in the comic book genre. But um, it kind of goes unnoticed. Like you don't really. I mean, I don't know. It's. I like. I like the movie, but I don't. You don't hear a lot of people talk about the movie. Really. I don't find that to be true. I think maybe well, maybe it's because I I read a lot about Guillermo and and that's always brought up. It was like it it showed he could be a commercial director if he needed to be. Yeah, that's not that's not what I mean. I, you know, in his filmography, yeah, it's a it's a good movie and it's worth mentioning. And is we're talking about him specifically, but I'm just talking about overall. Like Blade Two, to me, it just seems like Blade Two kind of goes unnoticed because uh, not really talked about a lot. Hmm. Well, after they became friends, uh, you know, they were having dinner one time, some arroz con puerco, I think Ron said it was, and, and Guillermo takes him to a comic book shop. We walked in the door with great purpose, and we walked up to a beautiful scale sculpture of this very exotic, very red superhero. Ron, meet Hellboy. He is my favorite comic book character of all time. In a perfect world... If there were ever to be a movie of Hellboy, you would play him. That is my dream. Wow, I said. That's some dream. So uh, Guillermo, so Blade 2 comes out. Guillermo's got some clout. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to work with him. Universal buys the option of the Hellboy script, a five-year option. And for five years, they could not get this project off the ground because Guillermo planted his feet and said, I will only make this movie with Ron Perlman. And they were suggesting, what about Nick Cage? What about The Rock? What about Guillermo? And Guillermo was like, no, it's it's got to be Ron or nothing else. For and then finally, five years later, the 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 option lapses. Mm -hmm. They take it to Revolution Studios. They offer him like thirty million less than he wanted to make it, but Guillermo took it, right? Because he just wants to make the movie. Because he's that he's that artist. He's like, I'm only going to do a movie if I can do it my way. Because it's a waste of his time. And his creativity and his talent. I mean, that's what makes the guy so brilliant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Guillermo was one of the first to truly see you as a leading man. I mean, had you wanted to step into that lane before? Because you were a successful character actor. I said to him from the get-go, that's, that's a great idea. And God bless you. I love you for even, you know, entertaining the idea. But it'll never happen. And sure enough, for seven years, he would go to these meetings at these studios and 
he would say Ron Perlman and they would go <laughs> like this. And he never got the movie made. And then we did Blade 2. And Blade 2 opened it to like $40 million on the first weekend. And everybody wanted to, to, to do Guillermo's next movie. And he said to himself, if I'm ever going to get Hellboy done with Ron, it's going to be this week. Mm. And sure enough, somebody said to him, how do I get in the Guillermo del Toro business? And he said, well, I really want to do this movie Hellboy. And they say, okay, any conditions? He goes, yeah, Ron Perlman. They go, hmm. Okay. There was a loyalty aspect to it. But there was also this, like, he was convinced, this is the way I want to make the movie. And if I have to make the movie... The way you want to make it, I'm not going to make it at all. And that, as they say, is that. Seven years, two studios, 875 doors slammed in his face. The prospect of never, ever making this beloved project at all. And as if the whole thing was this well-oiled plan slash a pash dance, Hellboy, starring yours truly, with an option for two sequels, was a reality. So, off they are. He's got Ron Perlman. He's got the script. You have the tools. You have the talent. Let's go make Hellboy. It's a nice uh, way of looking at, like you were saying, the um, the passion that he had. And you even said, like, was it five years before this movie even came out? Like, he already had a vision of what he was wanting to do with it. And uh, I don't know, guy. You, you know, I, I do remember hearing about that, about how um, the studio didn't want to put Perlman in that spot and he kind of uh, stood his ground and didn't budge on that. So got to respect him for that. Yeah. He, I mean, a, he was looking out for his friend, but I think really mm-hmm. it was about, he had a vision and he wanted to right. see that vision through and he just would not compromise with his artistic vision. Cause the man is, he's a filmmaker and he's a screenwriter, but the man is an artist. And I, I don't say that about a lot of other directors of film that they are, I mean, if you look at the sketches he does, the character, the creatures he comes up with, those are all mm-hmm. in his head. I mean, he, he's like, like like H.R. Giger, who's you know who designed Alien. That's what he's known for. It's just the guy who designed Alien. But this guy writes scripts and directs movies and designs <laughs> these crazy creatures that you would never think could exist. Eyeballs in the hands, mm-hmm. kind of kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> insane stuff god and we'll i think and i think we'll we'll get into that more yeah when we're talking about, at least for me when we're talking about hellboy 2 yeah um, oh god yeah yeah that somebody just pulled the string and just let him go <laughs> no shit right <laughs> on that one um but uh getting back to the first hellboy it came out in 2004 now you said that um uh, Revolution give them a smaller amount of budget. This had a budget of about sixty six million, um, and for all intents and purposes, for it being, I guess you know, not a well known comic book, not a Marvel X Men anything like that. I mean, gross US fifty nine million, worldwide altogether uh, ninety nine point four million dollars, right off the bat. So yeah, it turned a profit. It didn't do. It wasn't yeah. gangbusters. It wasn't like. Right. You know, a, a sequel's been greenlit while it's still in the theater kind of thing. No, no, I mean, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah. Nobody was upset, like, you lost this money, but uh, it, it didn't do the way, like you said, X-Men and Spider-Man were killing it at the time, making yeah. eight, nine hundred million dollars each. Yeah. And that's the only thing that would at that time, to be fair. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else were we getting? Daredevil? Hulk? Ghost oh Rider? 
That's why I said it was it was hit or miss. <laughs> That's around Punisher. That time. <laughs> we t- yeah. 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 I mean, I think this is one of the better comic movies to come out of that early, mid-2000s era. That being said, yeah. uh, I got some issues with this movie, though. Okay, do you want to get into it? Do you want to, uh, we, I you don't want to break it down, or I you just want like, to hit oh, the... Have I been sucking Guillermo and Ron's dick long enough that I can bring up something negative? <laughs> oh, I don't think they'll mind. No. Oh. Do you keep sucking? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I meant metaphorically. Oh. They don't mind. No, but I mean, okay, just right off the bat, and uh, I, I'm going to try not to talk about the book so much. I want to focus more on the movies. But as a character, Hellboy, as such a unique, you know, he he. Hey, speaking of metaphors, he has a lot. He's very closely related to Superman in a way. When you think about it, he's a very powerful being who came to Earth as a baby, but because he was taken in by good people who taught him good things. You know, Superman case, Jonathan and Martha Kent, Salt of the Earth people, Hellboy's case, Professor Broom, the Allied Powers. They raised him to be mm-hmm. good, to have good values and fight for good. Now, you mm. could argue, like, oh, Superman probably would have been good anyway because, you know, his dad, Kal-El, was a good guy and Kryptonians are good people and everything. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, go read Red Sun. That's an interesting book. Because he still turns out good, even though he was raised by communist Russians. It's a cool book. Spoiler alert. Sorry. That's the premise of the book. It's not a spoiler. He said he's still good. Oh, at the end? Shit. But Hellboy, (laughs) it's like a nature and nurture thing. Whereas Hellboy's nature is that he's still a fucking demon. Right. With the destiny to bring about the apocalypse. But But the nurture kind of overpowers that. It's what he fights with every day. Uh, yeah. that's such an interesting uh, character that, that I mean look at him he looks like a fucking devil <laughs> he's red <laughs> he's got these horns and everything like that he's got the cloven feet and for all intents and purposes he should be evil but he's not and not only is he just a good guy he's like a guy's guy like he's a fun guy you want to <laughs> hang out with he's got this ironic sense of humor you know he's so laid back and chill he's such a he's such a cool character <laughs> That you just want to hang out with and be buddies with. Yeah, I'll give you that. He, yeah, he's definitely they got the the cool factor down uh, and getting that part over. Um, yeah, like you're saying, he's kind of a chill dude, smoking some cigars and watching TV. I mean, he likes cats, but I mean, I don't know if it's a positive or negative. And I was gonna but, say, uh, I didn't love this movie. He's a cat person, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that's kind of the thesis of the movie is is that nature nurture. Even the even the opening narration in the first few seconds is Professor Broom. He's like, "What is it that makes a man a man? Is it his origins, the way things start? You know, that's what he's proposing. That's sort of the thesis of this whole movie. Does it, nature nurture? D- doesn't that get carried? I mean, I, I think it get carries carries over more so in the second movie than this movie in particular. Um, and there's a sequence we'll we'll get to when we're talking about that for that movie. But uh, um, yeah, like you're saying, don't I guess don't uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Pretty much, you know, he looks like a like you're saying like the freaking devil, but <laughs> he's a good guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. You want to have a, a beer yeah. with him? Yeah. Um, but uh, there was something that was teased in, in both of these movies, but it started here, um, where they even say it was. Uh, it's his destiny to set up the the apocalypse. Um, and we see visions of that 
uh, not no, more or less in both movies, but it's talked about in both movies. But um, in this one, we get a little clip of that actually um, at one shot where we see him. He's got they talk, they talk about he's got horns, but he like he cuts them off and shaves that shave, shaves them down to the stumps on mm-hmm. his forehead. And that's yeah. part of his look. Every time any time you see uh, an image of Hellboy, he's got the the little round stumps on his forehead. Yeah, it looks like he's got these and, two uh, tuna cans on his head. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he files them down to fit in. Yeah, as Agent or, Clay says. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, there's some stuff that I wanted to get to, but not until we start talking about the the second movie. So we'll kind of save some of that for later. But, um. But what do you what do you think about some of the cast in this movie? I know you kind of touched on on some of them earlier, but uh, obviously Ron Perlman, Perlman we already talked about. Uh, this movie we got yeah. uh, John Hurt. Well, is, uh, well, just to touch on Ron Perlman really quick, uh, we did oh, touch okay. on him, but like in the last 20 years, we've seen dozens, maybe even hundreds of comic book characters cast by actors and actresses brought to the big and the small screen. So when I mm-hmm. say that Ron Perlman as Hellboy might just be the best, most inspired, just plain perfect casting I want you and the listeners to know I mean exactly that. I can't think of another Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, great. But but not no, it it's no. <laughs> Kevin Conroy as Batman, brilliant, but not the way first off physically, yes, Ron Perlman has that rowdy jaw and if you look at all the books, Hellboy has right. this very big protruding yeah. jaw. Mm-hmm. But he's got he's got that uh that like that ironic lazy sense of humor that is in the books after mm. the movies came out i went and I read a lot of hell books and he does capture that character not just physically but the attitude he is yeah. he is hellboy and i think it's probably if i a list of best casting choices for comic book characters he's the clear number one for me well and like you're saying del toro he he's an artist and he knows what he was doing and one thing, and I have this in my notes in this episode, in this for this uh, first movie, is um, the way he shoots uh, Perlman as Hellboy. It's he knows how to shoot him. Uh, he likes to do the hero shots. Every time you see <laughs> him, he just looks like he's like pulled off the pages. Either whether it's um, maybe a pose he's doing, like the way he's standing, and got a you know certain swagger to him or just the way you're saying like his his sense of humor or um just whatever's going on it just there's there's one shot where you just see like him standing there and you and you take that shot of of him standing there and then you if you put that side by side to just a shot of the comic book yeah to to your point it's um it's dead on <laughs> pretty much um as far as translating comic to to yeah, it's beautifully translated to see him in the full Hellboy makeup doing his thing. It's 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 gorgeousness and gorgeousity made flesh. Uh, <laughs> for sure. And what's funny is like Guillermo in Mexico. Yeah, he was he was a before he became like a, 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 a directing movies and all that. He was working in TV and all that, and he wanted he became a, a makeup artist. Like a not uh, not because that was his passion, but because he couldn't find anybody who were willing to create 
the kind of makeup effects and creature effects that he had in his mind. Nobody could keep mm-hmm. up with what he had in his mind. So he came to the States to learn how to become a makeup artist. Yeah. Because, because nobody so he went to work uh and he he got a hold of uh at uh, Rick Baker Studios the bust of Ron Perlman the actor that that Rick Baker had made when he was working on Beauty and the Beast and he had wow. Ron Perlman's like face and he would work with that so he was already working with Ron Perlman before he even met him <laughs> <laughs> and he would and he created Hellboy makeup onto Ron Perlman's face and he would carry that thing into the meetings trying to convince them see how perfect Ron Perlman would be for Hellboy and they were still like no we we, we don't trust this this round who so they so what's you a imagine, Hellboy yeah you pat Guillermo walking in with a big old boom Ron Perlman statue with a Hellboy makeup uh, <laughs> this fucking guy now um since since we're talking about the the actual makeup of of Hellboy I gotta say man just visually it just looks clean, man. Like, I don't know. There's something about it, like the coloring of it or the texture of it. Um, there's a there's a slickness to it and just a... Rick Baker. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, man, it looks good. It looks, <laughs> That's the reason does that make, the best. Does that make sense? It's like, it just looks clean. Like, uh, you see, like, there's some shots of him just without the trench coat or the shirt or anything. And it's like, everything is just like... Um, yeah, there's. I just keep thinking the word clean. It's just like it's so it's so slick the way it's all put together. But anyway, not a lot uh, of dust on him. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But again, shiny. He's shiny. I think that's I think it. again that's plastic that's sort almost. Of, that's Ron Perlman's strength is that he's able to bring himself past the makeup, beyond the makeup. Mm-hmm. You don't just see you know a guy who's mumbling. You know, like. I'm trying to think of like you know, like like Billy Barty in in Massive Universe, for lack of a better example. He could barely move in that, and <laughs> you know he's dubbing his own lines because he can't even talk. Yeah. But I see Ron Perlman through that makeup. You know, his performance. He, yeah, he doesn't get lost. Through. Yeah, yeah, his yeah. performance isn't lost yeah. despite the makeup. You know, it, it's coming through, and that's why they call him the Lon Chaney because he's just good at that. <laughs> Maybe it's just that that deep voice of his. That, that just has such a presence that that voice just carries mm. through because he's got a great voice. He's also a great voice actor, too. Oh, yeah. 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 Clayface and Batman, just you name it. Tons mm-hmm. of cool voices. Uh, since we're talking about the makeup effects, what do you think of uh, Abe Sapien's whole character? The character, the look, um, performance? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, there's something just... Uh, I'm going to say this about someone else doing this movie, but it's uh, he's... The uniqueness and it's almost intriguing about um, everything about that character, like what he is, his powers that he has, his abilities, things like that. But the look of him, just in general, it's um, Fishman. Yeah, Fishman. It's not like you know, a creature from Black Lagoon or something that he went on later on to do Shape of Water or anything like that. This is its own. This is its own thing. But uh, I mean, there is some definite is- uh, Shape of Water. A, it's the same actor playing both of them. Yeah, playing right. Doug Jones. Right. Million, million brilliant things as Abe Sapien and as the creature in Shape of Water doing kind of the same movement. Fish movement. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> um, but there's a there's a behind the scenes footage of them bringing out like a little two foot clay sculpture of Abe Sapien to Guillermo. Mm-hmm. And he sees it and he starts crying. And and he has his ha- he has his his face in his hands. He's like half crying, half laughing, and he goes, "He's a fucking god." 
He goes, and I'm this fat piece of shit. <laughs> but he looks at Abe Sapien and he says, he's a fucking god. And in, in Shape of Water, it's this question, is is that creature a god or yeah. not? Have you seen Shape of Water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Michael Shannon even says, like, you are a god or is it a god? I don't know. But I imagine the inception of Shape of Water obviously started with Hellboy, with Abe Sapien. I, I, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Doug Jones does the performance. He's he's the man in the suit. Mm-hmm. But David Hyde Pierce does the voice. Right, right. Although you wouldn't know that from watching the movie. Well, unless you recognize David Hyde Pierce's voice. But he's not mm-hmm. credited anywhere. Yeah. Because David Hyde Pierce famously decided that performance belonged to Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. And he refused to do any promotion, do any interviews. He didn't go to the red carpet, none of that kind of stuff. Maybe he's just that good of a guy. Maybe he's just lazy, and he <laughs> disguised it as a "Oh, I'm being the bigger man." Either way, uh, <laughs> in the sequel, Doug Jones does get to do the performance and the voice as well. I was gonna, yeah, because I was gonna ask you. He he, did, uh, he doesn't reprise the voice in the second movie. I don't think. Now it's Doug Jones doing the voice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Now I'm gonna get negative. Sorry, Guillermo. <laughs> you know I fucking love you. But, uh, okay. There's one character in this movie that does not work at all for me. Can you guess who it is? Um, Liz? What? No. No, I love Liz. She's great. Uh, Broom? No, fucking John Hurst's brilliant. He's awesome. Uh, Rasputin? Uh, they could have done more of them, but he's still really good. Um, you're not talking about Cronin, are you? No, Cronin's the shit. He's got those. We're about to talk. I was about, yeah, I was about to talk about him. No, okay, he's awesome. About? Oh, Myers, Myers, fucking agent. agent Oscar yeah. Myers. Oh yeah. god. Okay, first off, yeah, this guy. He was. A, he, he. Yeah. Weak link, man. Weak link in the movie. First off, he's not a comparable character. He was someone invented entirely for the movie to basically be a um, exposition dump. You can tell it, yeah. Yeah, we need that guy to help, uh, you know, to hold our hand and usher us into this crazy world of, of fantastic stuff and BPRD and all that kind of stuff. Uh, someone, to, oh, his name is Abe Sapien. We call him that because of this and. Uh, you know, he he files his horns down so he can fit in. Somebody to explain things to him, ergo to us. But I'm surprised at Guillermo for this because he's such a visual storyteller. I never thought that he would resort to this. You don't think that might have been a studio thing? Be like, hey, we need someone to – we need an exposition, exposition here. To I don't think so. Get the uh, – no? I don't think that's what – I think it was Guillermo. I think, I think he thought – this character would work more. Guillermo saw this character as like the white knight character, you know, the the one who's just really good at heart. He's like the Percival or something. I, I, Guillermo liked this character, and I'm and I'm sorry, no offense, lo siento, Guillermo, but but this character sucks. The actor sucked. Yeah, I don't. I've never seen him in anything since. This is, this is like yeah. fifteen well, years ago. I've never seen this dude pop up anywhere. So he obviously didn't set Hollywood. I on mean, fire. His... <laughs> I mean, his the character's name might as well be Agent Exposition because that's all he does in this movie. That's the only reason he's there. To the point where, like, he's not even in the sequel because we don't need him anymore. Because his whole point, his whole purpose, was to be exposition for us as moviegoers, like you're saying, to be introduced to all this 
this world of the uh, BPRD and, and everything else. And um, but yeah, so once that's out of the way, he's done. Like we don't yeah. need him anymore. So I hated everything about him from the way he combed his hair, like he's like a little ten year old boy. I just I did not like this dude. Uh, <laughs> God, that sounded so petty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, he just he kind of sucked, and he's a I think he's a British actor, so it's not like he's American. It doesn't matter. It, it bad, doesn't matter. But it does. Everything he said, every line just sounded awkward to me. Yeah. He just didn't fit. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, um, no. since we're talking about uh, it, it doesn't. Doesn't fit here. One of the one of the, and he this he might be the reason I'm gonna say this, but it just felt like in this particular movie, um, it felt like the the characters and the actors didn't have a lot of chemistry together. But um, I'm thinking maybe that is part of, partly because of him because a lot of the the scenes that um, he's a linchpin in almost every yeah scene. yeah like I didn't like him with Liz I didn't like him with Hellboy I didn't like I didn't like him with whoever he was with and we don't get a lot of like in the second movie in, in Golden you know, Army we, that's we get a lot of we have a lot of more um, group work in that second movie a lot of the characters and they're bouncing off of each other a lot a lot better in that second movie than this one and this one it's just it, I don't know. It just something didn't vibe right with all the characters in this movie. You know, I totally agree, and I've never been able to put my finger on it. Yes, that is, that is, wow, no shit. He does, and I think maybe the fact that David Hyde Pierce, who was just a voice actor who was recording Mm -hmm. ADR shit, like he wasn't in the scene, he wasn't acting with Hellboy, so to speak, the way Doug Jones does in the next movie, and then the scenes with Hellboy and Abe work so much better. Oh, Because it's two actors working together. It's not just one guy recording. Um... And and Liz, you know, she's not so reluctant anymore to be with Hellboy. She's she's now invested in the thing. Okay, Liz, like you said, Summer Blair. No, I loved her. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really like Summer Blair. Uh, I thought she was great. I thought now in the book, Liz Sherman is a character in the book, but she has no romantic connection to Hellboy in the books. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this well, is yeah, something... you have to have the romantic. You have to have the love interest in the movie, right? So you know what? Yeah, I get that. Uh, and it doesn't even seem, you know, like, yeah, I'm sure the executive's like, we need a romantic thing. A romantic triangle would even be better if you less, less have, uh, Asia Meyer sitting on her. I, I, I even like it. The fact that when we're introduced to all the, all these characters, it's more like more so on, on Hellboy's part than hers. He's more like love struck with her and she's not exactly like turning away from him but she's like come on red you know it's I, I don't, the way she calls him red i don't know it's just funny like, i love that they say red or hb yeah. just to say like hey how's it going hellboy it just seems kind of weird <laughs> you know that's like yeah. a superhero name not not what you, not what your buddies call you yeah but i did like i mean it does make perfect sense for them to get together i mean a pyrokinetic who's afraid of her powers who better to fall for than a fireproof demon who sounds like mm-hmm. Ron Perlman. I mean, it's like a match made in heaven <laughs> or, or hell as it were. Oh, yeah. but still it, it kind of writes itself. And that final shot where they're kissing and then both of them get engulfed in her flames is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. j- like poetically and visually. I, I mean, I, yeah, I love the idea of them two getting together. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, if it wasn't like that in the comics, then Del Toro 
did one better in this one by making that that whole uh, connection yeah. like that. So. Yeah, it didn't feel forced because it felt totally natural that it would make perfect sense. Yeah, the only thing that got in the way of that was that fucking exposition guy. <laughs> <laughs> fucking agent. Agent Myers. Uh, okay, John Hurt. You want to talk? As, okay, I was talk about John Hurt now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Visually, bam, looks exactly like Professor Broom in the books. From the way the hair is wild, but goes backwards to the little spectacles to the goatee. Uh, fuck, he looked exactly like Professor Broom in the books. Um, I thought he was great. I love John Hurt. Um, that scene where you know they're walking in the museum and. And Hellboy is, you know, walking in with his, you know, cock swinging. He's all cocky. <laughs> and then and then Professor Broom says something off camera, and he realizes that he's there. And he immediately hides this, his cigar behind his hand, behind his back, lowers his head, and goes, Father. Like, this big-ass demon is, is cowering before this frail old man. I mean, it's like, whoa. <laughs> what does this dude have on him? And it's, it's his father. <laughs> Yeah. Like that I mean, you know, clearly he's not genetically his father, but he raised him. Right. He read him bedtime stories about golden armies. This guy is his father through and through. And and Hellboy, despite all his power, still father. Ugh. I thought that was such a cool scene. It really made Broom seem kind of badass. Yeah. And it and it, and it also s- not set up, but it just established that uh, that relationship between yeah. what the relationship is between them. Well, I mean, but but then again, we got that at the at the start too. I mean, you kind of you could put two and two together. I mean, with the intro with with him finding him when he first got brought in through the portal or whatever from the. Well, you get the sense that he um, he would go on to raise him, but the whole yeah, yeah, yeah. father moment shows he did a good job. Right. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> point. Yeah. Yeah. He managed sixty some odd years later. You know. Because Hellboy age is slower, uh, Broom, the character Broom, uh, he's diagnosed that he's dying, uh, right, 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 which is a plot point I appreciated because it made his death later. Like I hated that he died, but that I love, but then I love the fact that he died on his terms. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, when yeah, Rasputin yeah. shows up and he takes his beads off, just lays them down and says, "I'm ready," and even Rasputin says, "Like it, it won't hurt." Or it, it'll be quick. It'll be quick. It'll be quick. Yeah, because he respects yeah. this dude. He's not going to make him suffer or whatever. He even, he, Rasputin even leans over and he says to him, like, do you want to know what his real name is? He's like, I know what to call him. I call him son. And he, that's it. Yeah. He never cared about Hellboy's destiny, his future. That's his son. And that's all he ever was and ever will be to him. Uh, it's a great scene. The fact that Hellboy wasn't there when it happened and he comes home mm-hmm. and there's that funeral and he's standing up on the bridge in the rain with the music swelling and he's holding he's wearing his father's rosaries around his wrist oh god my heart (laughs) (laughs) shit got me um yeah no it's a good scene yeah uh now i i I wanted to go back real quick uh because we were talking about stuff at the beginning of the movie and everything but there was a little i guess a little montage at the beginning of the movie where it kind of explains like i guess him through the years and it's I, kind of, I, I like that. It's a quick, it's a quick little montage for the opening, but it kind of shows you. That's how you do exposition. Yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> he's almost like a, he's almost like a Bigfoot type of thing. Like he's, have you seen? Like people don't know if he's if he's real or if it's a myth or yeah, he's like, like an urban uh, legend, National Enquirer pictures, things like that. And, yeah. 
Um, but the, and that'll get played off. Well, it gets kind of like hinted at here and there in the movie in this one, but it's really played up in the second movie. But that involves this is where um, uh, Jeffrey Tambor comes in as uh, Tom Manning. Oh, yeah, the, Agent the boss. Yeah, uh, yeah. Love Jeffrey Tambor. This was yeah. Not yeah. very long. I think Arrested Development might have still been on the air at the time. Love me some Jeffrey Tambor. Um, yeah. Around the same time, yeah. yeah. Well, I've loved Jeffrey Tambor but, uh, ever since The Ropers, that Three's Company spinoff where he was Mr. Roper's neighbor. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm not going to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, dude, me and Jeffrey Tambor go way back. <laughs> As a viewer, I guess. <laughs> Never met the man. I'm sure he's um, nice. I I liked as the movie went on, I I just I, I got more of a kick out of uh, the character of Manning, and just carried over in the second one even more. But um, especially by the end when we're getting that, um, we're basically Manning and, and Hellboy are basically <laughs> they're together and they gotta um, work together to get out of the little spot they're in. But it's 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 fun. I it, like the culmination of that scene where. Uh, Manning kind of saves Hellboy's life by throwing the gears at Cronin, yeah. And then you know Hellboy kills him, whatever. And then they're lighting a cigar, and he's like, "Don't do, don't use a Zippo lighter. You know, use a wooden match. Yes, you know, it preserves the flavor." And then Hellboy takes a drag and looks at him, and is like, "Thank you." And he's, he's, it's like yeah. I'm thanking you for the tip about the cigar, but you know he's really thanking him. And Manning's yeah. like, "You're welcome," and he's not calling him out. Like you know, it's it's a begrudging. It, it was the burgeoning of what would have been a beautiful friendship although when hellboy 2 starts they're kind of right back to square one but we'll get which to that. i don't mind it be- yeah which which i don't mind but yeah we'll, well, we'll get in that but you enjoy the whole antagonism between the two i like seeing them as buddies and i wanted them to be best friends but because again. no the, the reason i'm okay with it is because we got that little scene at the end of the movie so now in my mind the way i interpret it, their button heads and things like that it's more of a uh, playfulness to it, sort of like they're like they're enjoying like. Uh, uh, but I mean, he even says like, "I'm so stressed out about Hellboy. I'm I'm medicated." Like you see, this is an antacid. Like he's <laughs> he's physically ill because of what Hellboy's putting him through. You know, it's not they're, they're uh, over the counter. They're over the counter. But it's yeah, medication. it's not the the buddy ribbon. Like, hey, I'm just giving my buddy shit. You know, it's it's not like that. It's he's making Manning physically ill. <laughs> But if you really wanted to do it, he could probably get, well, I don't know. He could probably get rid of him, I guess. If he was that much of a headache for him. Get rid maybe. of, who, who get rid of who? Hellboy get rid of Manny? Or the other way around, yeah. Manny, he can't get rid of Hellboy. He's one of the government's best assets. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Whatever. We'll, we'll get to that later. But sure. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> um, what else about uh, Hellboy? Oh, um, okay, we kind of mentioned his name earlier, but what about the character of Cronin? I thought he was cool. Um, he's like he's 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 like a little steampunky in which he's got like yeah. gears and clockworks. Mm. But when you see him, like he has like mechanical arms as well. But he's filled with sand. It's like when you first feel a breast for the first time. It's like a bag of sand. <laughs> That's Cronin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he's got like no eyelids. He's and no lips. So he's just like teeth and eyes he's creepy as what fuck. he what they say like he was um he has surgical kind of like, addiction yeah surgical addiction yeah 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 so he'd operate on himself and all this other stuff it's i mean it's a it's a fascinating character as far yeah. as how it all came together i mean my god and he's a um, fucking nazi to boot like, yeah fuck this guy like we too. see him we see him in the first in the first scene but we don't know anything about him at the time other than that he's covered like 
head to toe pretty much. Um, and then we see him in the present day. Just as, looks just the same. Well, when they th- but, when they're doing that opening ceremony, would have you. Uh, we should go back and talk about that though. And they throw that grenade, and he's trying to reach it, and he gets blown up and thrown away. That's how he loses his arm. That's how mm-hmm. he gets all fucked up and scarred up. That's what leads him to be. Oh, he gets just, impaled, right? Yeah, yeah, he gets impaled, but then they turn around, he's gone or something. But his arm yeah. is blown off too, yeah. and his face. So that so that sort of leads to him like uh, spending decades trying to. I don't know if he's trying to recover or what he's doing. But, like, the opening sequence is a bunch of Nazis uh, and Rasputin, the famous yeah. Russian, sort of like a, a real fictional character, uh, not f- historical, <laughs> not fictional, historical character. Yes, that Rasputin, yes. Yes, Rasputin. <laughs> I know he's real because uh, one of the frogs from Ninja Turtles was named after him. And that's how I. I didn't want. Yeah, I didn't want to spout my <laughs> my knowledge I, on that. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's when I first learned that Rasputin was a real guy, uh, along with Napoleon. And this, I'm just kidding. Obviously, this is Ninja Turtles is not how I knew, learned about who Napoleon was. <clears throat> that was Bill and Ted. <laughs> but so, like Hitler right? joins uh, again. Uh, Professor Broom dumps all this on Agent Myers. She's like 1942 or something like that. Hitler joins the Thule Society. Thule Society, real thing, very occult. However, there was no evidence that Hitler was actually ever a member. Uh, but I didn't even think about that when I was watching it because when I saw, oh, Hitler's obsessed with the occult, that makes total sense. I spent my whole life thinking that that was fact. Thank you very much, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> but in the source material, uh, the first book, Seed of Destruction, the, the Nazis are doing their whole thing. He's got that glove that looks right at the book. Recipe is doing his thing and all thing. And, but they summon Hellboy as a demon. But he shows up in a church, like hundreds of miles away, where the allies are. And mm-hmm. everything goes down. But in the movie, Guillermo decides to put them in the same setting. And it's like, see, that's how you adapt source material. You make it right. better. <laughs> you improve on it. You find, like, this is great, but it could work better if this happened. And you change it here and there. And that's yeah. the thing. There's so many things about this movie, even things I don't even like. Like when they go to Russia at the end and Hellboy digs up a coffin and he has like a little puppet, a ventriloquist puppet on his Ivan, Ivan. Yeah. I hated that. Oh, come on. I thought it was like... stupid. I thought it was stupid. <laughs> I, I don't think the movie funny. had earned that level of ridiculousness yet. <laughs> I'm not saying he it was grounded, it. but it, it hadn't earned it He's yet. He's fucking Hellboy. Was... How do you not earn it? <laughs> it, it not, not when you're not in 2004 when you're watching it for the first time. I thought like, okay, now this has just jumped a shark and gotten stupid. He's mm. carrying a stupid talking dead. Like, how is it talking? Like, it has no lungs. It's dead. Uh, uh, okay, well, I have to. Agree but again, to that does happen in the books. That's a thing in the books. Yeah. But. But so they had so they took up something from the books and put it in the movie so the so the book readers would be like ah hey, that's a thing, but I don't I, just, I didn't think it worked. That's my opinion. I thought at the I end. I don't think. Oh, sorry. I'm not gonna say it wasn't it didn't work, but for the fact that he's only in there for maybe five minutes, <laughs> like I don't think it was really necessary. But that's my whole thing. That's what makes it worse. It's like he could have just dumped it. <laughs> And then they yeah. go underground, and they're in them some sort of a Russian underground temple of doom or something with like giant. <laughs> yeah. Like, what was that? I still don't understand what that was. This underground Russian city of uh, yeah, dude. I don't know. <laughs> just 
That was that threw me off more than uh, the little talking puppet Ivan Yvonne, whatever you want to call him. But uh, like they don't try to explain what's going on, other than the walls are moving and there's big pendulums swinging back and forth, knocking down the bridges. Yeah, who built right that? Where they're what at? What was it? It didn't. I mean, it was just like yeah. Again, growing up with with something. Indiana Jones and and all that, I'm just like, okay, this is just a trope of action movies. But yeah. what was it? I, I didn't understand how it fit into the plot. If they explained it and I, and I got, and I lost it, forgive me. And then and then uh, Rasputin, the villain, he, at the end he turns into a giant, like basically he turns into Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. And I love Cthulhu, <laughs> but it's like, well, we were kind of like following this this villain, and now the movie ends with just Hellboy fighting CGI. Like. It would have been more yeah. invested had he fought the villain that we had spent the last hour and a half. It's following. yeah. It, it's it's almost like I don't want to say cop out because we get to that point where um, we get that scene where they're they're um, they're getting basically trampled by those hounds or whatever. And Liz, she lights Samael. up. Samael. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Um, she lights up. She says, "You should be running." Um, and then she wipes them all out. They get knocked out by the blast. They get kidnapped, and then Rasputin basically forces Hellboy to start huh. opening the portal. Um, I'm just thinking that scene in Blade Two where that bomb with all the light just pew blows throughout the tunnel and wipes out all the vampires. Oh yeah, huh? Not hmm. not not dissimilar. Hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, we have that, that and then <laughs> we get like the start. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because we get like the start of the final confrontation. With him and Rasputin, but then, like you said, he—I think he does like he takes doesn't he take like one of his horns because he he grew him back because he made yeah, him he breaks his, his he horn ma- off and stabs he him. makes he makes him say his name to get out of the shackles that he's in Anunun Rama yeah and then when he does that the horn his horns grow out and then he op- he opens he, he up he gets the part fiery of the crown and yeah yeah a cr- a um, amazing visual image of this burning crown just hovering above his head. It's like an angel's halo, mm-hmm. but it's on fire. Yeah. And it's it on a cool. devil. Visually, <laughs> visually, it's fucking cool. <laughs> it just looks cool. But, um, yeah, so he's shutting open the portal, and then he just kind of stops. He breaks off one of his arms and and sticks it to uh, Rasputin. Sticks it to him? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but then from there, that's when that little monster thing, like, comes out of Rasputin and, then, like, kills him. Like, it eats him up or some shit. I didn't get it. What, yeah. Was he always... Was that that was was Cthulhu like always inside of him or that was that was not uh, yeah. clear to me I don't know it was a bit <laughs> stealing my catchphrase so I didn't like the end <laughs> confrontation again it was like like well I mean even though Rasputin was a mediocre villain at least we had spent the last hour and a half invested in him and his mission and as the character. And we wanted to see these two guys, the guy, the guy who brought him to Earth decades earlier, throw down, and then Hellboy just fights CGI tentacles. Not even fights him, really. Just to, you would think when he became that big monster thing, it would be um, a big drawn out thing. But no, he just gets a belt of grenades, throws it at him, and that's it. That's like the <laughs> that's like the end of the the fight, pretty much. Right? Yeah. Unless I'm, unless I'm Forgetting something. That basically, I mean, there's that scene where he goes up to a statue and pulls the sword, and it's like a gigantic fucking sword, like way bigger than a a human could wield. And that looks cool to see this Hellboy, who's only like, you know, six, six, three or something, 
wielding this gigantic fight. And then he cuts a few tentacles, but yeah, that's, that's right. about yeah, yeah. that's about the length of the climactic fight. Uh, it's a little, I guess, maybe even anticlimactic, I guess. Um, yeah, I was, I'd use that word. Yeah. yeah. So, so like I said, the ending, um, Agent Myers, the puppet. There's a few issues I have with this movie. It's not perfect. It's a, it's a really, really, really good movie. But uh, yeah, there was, a, there's a few things. I mean, there's, there's some really great scenes. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie when I was rewatching it was when. Um, Hellboy is being all like a stalker and he's watching Liz and Agent <laughs> Myers on their date and they're getting coffee and uh, he's like, uh, hey, do you want cream or sugar? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, she doesn't take cream. She takes it black. And you can overhear her saying something like, oh, no, I don't want any cream or sugar. And then you can see Hellboy like told you like he's being <laughs> petty. Oh, yeah. You think? But, th- but that's such a human quality to be petty. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think a demon, but but it just shows how human he really is. You know, we can see scenes of him being heroic and being noble, but that doesn't show me his humanity as much as seeing him being petty. <laughs> that thro- shows me his little, humanity. And he throws the rock. The rock. <laughs> that was probably the biggest laugh for me throughout the whole movie. <laughs> that was so funny when he throws that rock at that dude. Yeah. And then they cut, like, the kid is like, I have some cookies, and there's the whole scene. And it cuts later, and he's talking with the kid, but he's holding a <laughs> glass of milk. So you assume somewhere between yeah. he ate the cookies, and now he's drinking the milk, and he's talking to the kid, and getting dating advice from the kid. He even says, like, and, an- and another thing, you're nine. But, you know, I don't know. That That's just, a, it's a real humanizing scene for Hellboy. Being petty, talking to the kid, uh, having milk and cookies, I guess. I don't know. Um... Looking back, there's I, I see the traces of, of where the character, where, where Guillermo would take this character and like that. And I do love this movie more when I look back. But when it first came out, I remember all the issues I spoke about being like, eh, it was okay. I didn't yeah. like this, I didn't like that, and that was kind of dumb. But it was all right. That's how I saw the movie back then. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and... Um... I think I would probably agree with that assessment for me myself. I mean, it was it was fine. I would at the time. I you know, I was like, "Yeah, it's okay. It's it's not it's not terrific, but it's it's not bad. I like the visuals of it. I like Ron Perlman. But the, the look of Hellboy just in general is really good. Um the only thing that kind of turned me away from this movie just especially back then was besides some of the character, the chemistry I mentioned before with some of the characters and the actors. But also the story was just kind of bland for me. It was just kind of the story didn't really do a whole lot for me. Mm. Um, okay, let me ask you this: What was Rasputin's scheme or plan or villainous plot? To get him plot? to open the portal. To do what? Right. To do what? To to make wait hold on no I think I know this. Know uh, <laughs> it. To make him fulfill his destiny and create the apocalypse. Right? And bring bring upon the apocalypse, right? Well, to release the Agru Jihad, which were the seven beings of chaos, the the creatures right. floating in space, frozen in ice. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was the thing. See, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, again, the only reason I know this so well is because I've read the books now, and now I look at the movie, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's like, a, it's like a thing in the books. Wait, there was a name for those things in, the, in space? Yeah. I don't think, did they say that in the movie? Yeah, they did. 
Huh. Agdru Jahad, the seven somethings of chaos or something. They were frozen in ice. Sort of like Hellboy's dad is frozen in ice in hell. Hmm. Yeah. As Azael, he's like a duke. Yeah, see, maybe I'm burdened with too much Hellboy <laughs> book knowledge now. <laughs> that I'm cutting the movie more slack. Yeah. But that, again, maybe you're right, though, because when I saw it, I didn't get any of that. None of that was made clear to me. And I was like, I didn't get that. What was the point? Blah, blah, blah. And now, looking back, I realize they're totally trying to tell the comic book story, which is a very rich, wonderful world full of mythology that Mike Manola created. It, it, it doesn't exist with other comic book characters. Hellboy doesn't have crossovers with other characters. Right. But his world is so rich with, of, of demons and magic and stories. Uh, you don't need crossovers. It's so... So, so many Hellboy stories... Some of them don't even have Hellboy. It's just about random demons and, and, and creatures and monsters and magic. They have not, that Hellboy's not even in them. They're just <laughs> fleshing out this universe that Mignola created. They're really good. And I could see why Guillermo gravitated towards them so much. Uh, okay, so... That was the first Hellboy. Now, before we get into this, the second one, um, in between these two movies... They released some directed video. There were some animated movies, right? There's what two of them? Uh, oh yeah. Now, for purpose of this podcast, I, I meant to go back and kind of revisit these. I think I've seen bits and pieces of one of them. So, and that was years when they first came out. I have no recollection of these, but um, which is a shame. I hate to say that because I wanted to talk about them, but um, I know you you're a little bit more familiar with them, correct? Yeah, they they released two straight-to-video animated films called Sword of Storms and Blood and Iron. I think Blood and Iron is a little bit better. It, it has to do with, like, vampires and shit. Sword of Storms is kind of all over the place. I think they were trying to adapt a lot of the short Hellboy stories and just shoving them into this one, into Sword of Storms. Uh, the only reason I think I, Travis was going to... He didn't want to bring them up, but I insisted because I feel they're sort of part of the Hellboy universe because mm-hmm. Guillermo... Uh, you know, he executive produced them, which meant he probably didn't have much creative influence. But Ron Perlman comes back to the voice of Hellboy. Selma Blair comes back to the voice of Liz Sherman, and Doug Jones comes back to the voice of Ape Sapien. And in the second film, John Hurt even comes back and does a voice. So if John Hurt comes back, you know, prick up your ears. <laughs> John Hurt's doing something. We should all stop and watch. It's legit. It's legit now because he's John Hurt. Yeah. They're okay. I mean, if, if you love the movies, you'll probably very much enjoy these. They're still kind of fun. Um, I think uh, the second one, Blood and Iron, is is definitely better. It's a better story. I th- I think that uh, the one I I start I, I remember trying to watch was the would you say the sword sword of stones or something sword of storms sword sword of storms yeah that one <laughs> sounds I, like uh, a I don't even Game remember. of Thrones book. Right, yeah, um, but yeah, that one didn't really do much for me. And that other one, you said it had vampires in it. I, I think I will remember that if I watched it. But uh, and Professor Broom is in it as a character. Okay, yeah. So I, I, I will say, um, I was in the store the other day, and I noticed that they just released as a as a feature two pack these two movies. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, it's in four K and all this other stuff now, but. Um, yeah, they're out there. So, I mean, if you missed them and you want to actually own them part of your collection, they're out there now. So, 
Yeah, and I think Again, the yeah. second book has the character Kate Corrigan, who's who's a big character in the books, and I think uh, I think she's in the second one. Perry Gilpin voices her. Uh, she's voice actor. She's Roz from Frasier, but uh, that's a book character. I like Roz. I love Roz. Hmm. She's got spunk. Kind of wish her and Frasier. I would have ruined it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she got him. She appreciated Frazier at his worst. As as her producer, she knew Frazier at his worst, yeah. and uh, I think she could have handled him. They would have made a good couple. So, anyways, moving on. So, Frazier season two. What did we wait? Oh, this is not a Frazier episode. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> so. So I, so Hellboy comes and goes, not with a bang, but not with a whimper either. It makes mm-hmm. some money. It's modestly a success. You know, it didn't blow anybody's hair back. The executives weren't overjoyed with it. But like I said, a sequel wasn't greenlit automatically. So Guillermo goes down to Spain, to Spain, and he writes and directs this little movie that a few people saw. Some people might have liked it. It's called Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. Holy fucking shit. <laughs> this movie, it it made, oh God, it made me want to punch Guillermo in the face. Like, <laughs> like, how, how, one man shouldn't deserve to be this talented. It's ridiculous. Save some for the rest of us, Guillermo. <laughs> Come on. It's not fair. It's not right. <laughs> how can one man have so much genius in him? Granted, you're a fat fucker, so maybe that's what it is. But uh, this movie is fucking amazing. It's a Spanish language film, and I mm. think maybe that's why some not not everybody knows about it. Everybody's heard of it, not everybody's seen it. Have you seen it? Yeah, it took me a few years, but I finally, <laughs> yeah, I finally saw it. Yeah, this is ridiculous how good it is. It's unlike anything. It's such a a different, unique story that we had never seen before. Uh, it takes place in Spain during the the. Mm. Uh, I forget what war it was. I don't want to fuck it up. Um, it's it's great. There's so the 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 fawn, which again Doug Jones played that blind demon with the eyeballs in its hands. I again Doug Jones played it. The frogs, the the fairies, everything is just unlike anything you've ever seen. It's so brilliant. It's so unique. Just the creature designs in those is just amazing. Um, yeah. I, yeah. What you just said. <laughs> this this is the kind of movie that makes other filmmakers think I'm a huge bag of shit <laughs> to pretend I know what it means to make a movie. That, that's how good this movie is. In a hundred years, I think people are going to be teaching Guillermo del Toro as like a required class in filmmaking because he is so his own thing. And this movie is just is just the epitome of what of what he can do when he's left alone. Also, I think the fact that right, it was a small right. foreign film, leave him alone. He this guy just shits brilliance. Uh, it was so good. Shape of Water too. I'm amazed he managed to get Shape of Water made the way he wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a woman in a. I mean, God. And then what happens? It goes on to win Best Picture. Pan's yeah. Labyrinth won Best Foreign Film. Uh, Shape of Water wins Best Picture, but I think the fact that he made Pan's Labyrinth helped Hellboy 2 get made because it's like cause he makes Hellboy 1 then Pan's Labyrinth then Hellboy 2 like he could have done anything after Pan's Labyrinth he could have made anything he wanted but he goes right back to Hellboy because that is that is how much of a passion 
this character is for him. That when right, he has right. the world at his feet, he could do anything he wants. <laughs> I'm going to go back and do Hellboy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he wants to do. Uh, an executive who was in charge of Hellboy back at Revolution had since gone on and got promoted to a big to a big wig at Universal. So Universal, the ones who spent five years not knowing how to make Hellboy, mm-hmm. they finally optioned it, and then they made Hellboy two. So Hellboy two is a Universal film, and now this one I fucking love. Yes, I really, I... really, 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 really like Hellboy. Love Hellboy two, the Golden Army. Yeah, I just. Um... I, when I first I watched it when it first came out, but when going back and revisiting it, man, it is such a first of all such an improvement upon the whole world he created in the first movie. Expansion, really? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, expansion of everything he just did, and um, maybe it was the bigger budget he had or, or whatever. But the, the 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 story takes it into fantastic places you know of all these different characters and um just different these different worlds that you see throughout this movie man it's it's beautiful i mean just and you could see you know the, the success that he did with with pan's labyrinth it kind of carried over with the creature designs and the the way the way everything <laughs> yeah movie. like to me the, just, the designing yeah. crazy creatures he didn't have that monkey off his back yet and it carried over a little yeah. bit. Like, are these ones could I could not fit them in the Penn's Labyrinth, so I threw them <laughs> in the Hellboy. You know, maybe I don't know. And then, hey, you know what? Maybe that goes back to what you just said about yeah, he had all he could do whatever he wanted to do, but he went back to Hellboy. Maybe that's why. Maybe because he had to get all this, uh, <laughs> all this out of the system. I've got too many fucking creatures. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, his his sketchbooks have been published. You can mm. Google it. They're it's fucking insane. The, the 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 creature designs this guy. God to to be to be a fly inside his skull. Uh, maybe that's not how that works. <laughs> but um, yeah, Hellboy two, the Golden Army. Uh, the opening sequence, which again an exposition dump, but it's done in a great way because not only does it tell the story of the Golden Army mm-hmm. and the fairies. And the kings and, and princes of fairies and, and how like seven, 70 times 70 soldiers, all that kind of stuff. But it does it while also showing a little bit of pre, pre I was going to say prehistory, but isn't all history, prehistory, of, of uh, Broom as a younger man or a mm-hmm. less old man and a young Hellboy. Yeah. Hellboy is a boy. Uh, and he's such a little boy. He, he watches Howdy Doody. He has his little... His little uh, uh, cop, uh, uh, cowboy, little revolver, little probably like a cap yeah. gun. Yeah, probably Dude, a cap gun. Yeah. yeah. When I, I remember, I was like nine or ten, and I got a hold of this cowboy cap gun and a holster. I went everywhere with it. I went to the grocery yeah. store with this cap gun. I mean, I, I carried that little guy. That's what a little boy does. He goes to bed with this cap. He's like a real little kid. He's like he's so human. He's more well, you see him. He's even like brushing his teeth. Like he says, you'll read him a story, but you got to brush your teeth or whatever. So he's brushing his teeth as he's listening to the story. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. He's very <laughs> compromising very with the kid. <laughs> yeah, very humanizing. Uh, just continuing that um, characterization yeah. for him over to this movie. And so, a great yeah, excuse to is. bring John Hurt back. Yeah. Yeah. He died last movie, but fuck it, let's bring him back. And he tells the story of of the industrial. Golden Army, industrial, <laughs> indestructible. Uh, 
Which later at the end of the movie, when he's kicking the 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 soldier, whatever the golden soldier's ass, he's like industrial my ass, <laughs> which is kind of a carryover joke from the first movie in a way. In the first movie, there's a scene where he where he looks at Agent Myers and he tells him like, "Hey, what did you do to get this job pushing Pam cakes?" He calls it Pam cakes. He mispronounces it because there's a Hellboy comic. Uh, where he as a little boy eats pancakes for the first time and he calls them pancakes. So as an adult, his sort of, a, I don't know, speech impediment carries over yeah. the way it did in Hellboy 1. So in Hellboy 2, he says industrial as a kid. He grows up and he still says industrial, like his speech. <laughs> so it was like a carryover joke of the first movie. It's a, I don't know. You have to be a real Hellboy nerd to get it, but I got it. I got it. If anybody's keeping track, I got it. Thank you. Carry on. Move on. <laughs> I okay. That, that maybe that story went nowhere. I just want people. I want if Guillermo, if you're listening, <laughs> I got it. Just said it in Spanish. Um. So we we were talking about the villains of this movie, the the princes, the fairies, if you will. What do mm-hmm. you think of Luke Goss as Prince Nuada Silverlance? New villain <laughs> this movie. Um. Uh, yeah, they were fine. Like him and the and the princess. I mean, both of them were. As far as actors wise, I never heard of him before. <laughs> well, but, okay, the dude who played the prince, he was the vampire vampire in Blade Two. Ah, the villain okay. of Blade Two makes sense. He carries over, you know, yeah, brings so, his own. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to keep working with Guillermo, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so, so he was in Blade Two. He he went on. He did those uh, Death Race reboots, the ones that Jason Statham started. Uh, yeah, okay, he's in yeah. those. And now you know what? I really like those reboots, those straight to video reboots that he's a star of. They're yeah. damn good. But uh, so th- to answer your question, I, I didn't have a problem with it. Matter of fact, I kind of like the um, the the characterization of him and, and their his his ideals of what he's what he's trying to do, what he's trying to accomplish, because it's set. It's established in that little back, the little story that's being told at the beginning of this movie, that there was a truce between the humans and, and the fairies, and, and you know, so um, there's no wars or anything like that. But that was what, thousands of years ago. I can't remember how many years ago it was, but um, sure. <laughs> but the um, the king, he's still holding on to that truce. He's got. They, they said there was a. I guess a little plot device, if you want to call it that. But, uh, you know, there's a, the crown that controls this golden army. A MacGuffin. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and um, it was separated into three pieces, right? And um, the king had one. Two for the elven. Two, two for the fairy people. One for the humans. Right, right, right. And and we see at some point in the beginning of this movie, first half of this movie, there was an auction. And it was being right. It was being auctioned off for... Yeah, or something like that, and that's when the when the when the, when the prince came out, and yeah, we we took uh, really good care of that piece. <laughs> yeah, no we kidding. Sell right? it off to the highest bidder. <laughs> it sounds human, we, right? <laughs> we suck. Okay, here's the thing about that though. Like, this is one of those movies where the villain, in a way, or at least to the villain, the evil to the villain is humanity at large. Mm-hmm. You know, we just last summer or, uh, or last year we got Aquaman, where the villains saw humanity as the enemy right and it's like i don't blame him in a way (laughs) we do dump our trash in the oceans and shit and dump our piss and our shit in there and and you know we do kind of suck 
I don't really blame uh, the Aquaman bad guy, uh, Orm. I don't really blame Prince Nawada here. He even says, like, they have destroyed the forest mm-hmm. to for what? For shopping malls? And the, like, yeah. yeah, we suck. And I, I don't, I kind of like, I see the villain's point of view a little bit in this one. Kind of like Aquaman. Not to compare these two, because one's an awesome comic movie and the other's Aquaman. I mean, that's what makes someone a villain, right? Is because they have, I mean, they have their own morals. It's just how they go about trying to achieve their their goals. And I don't know if wiping out all of humanity is the most noblest of... Well, a good villain sees himself as a good guy. Right. A right, great right. villain, we're tempted to see him as a good guy. <laughs> you know, and this has sort of been a, a, a trope in, in, in Hollywood movies very recently where it's not, it's not so much humanity's bad. I mean, like overpopulation is sort of been a big villain uh, uh, motivation the last few years. You know, Kingsman, Samuel L. Jackson wanted to wipe out half of Earth. Uh, Inferno, a plague, was supposed to wipe out most of the population. Now, of course, Thanos has tried to wipe out most of the population. Overpopulation, humanity in general, has been a villain. But whereas this is, it's like, it's not just because there's too many of us, it's because we're assholes. <laughs> and yeah, we treat nature and everything that fairies hold dear like like nothing and I, I thought like wow that's a good motivation for a villain whereas Rasputin just wanted to end the world because I'm evil I guess like what was yeah. his motivation you know this guy I get his motivation I get this villain and I almost sympathize with this villain so on that scoreboard yeah this one trumps the first movie big time yeah and um, I, I definitely like this uh, this villain better than the villains in the first movie, like Rasputin. Like, yeah, you just you you discover it pretty pretty damn good. It's like that's oh stop oh don't I will <laughs> trust me. Um, there you know Rasputin was like yeah like you're saying like what was his motivation whatever. Um, but this guy he actually had reason for what he was doing. Rasputin um, literally had a mustache that he could twiddle. <laughs> that was a deleted scene actually. Yeah. <laughs> I would have thought you would have really loved uh, Prince Nuada because, like, when he shows up at the auction and some guy's like, hey, what are you doing here? And he, and he holds up, like, this tentacly squirmy creature and he, like, throws it at the dude and, like, wraps his face. This guy fights like he's Cobra La, you know? Him, him <laughs> and Pythono would be, like, a killer couple, if you get my meaning. <laughs> No one does. I'm the only one that gets him. You're the only one. I made that joke just for you. But dude, oh, dude, this dude's like a Cobra me, Law villain. Because <laughs> he fights with like, he like throws creatures and monsters and shit at you. Dude, if they ever make a live action movie with Cobra Law, Del Toro is my dude. I'm hiring for the director. Shit. Dude, big time, right? Right. We lost the audience, but yeah, I don't care. God, <laughs> that would be so cool. Um... Okay, so, yeah, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the villains. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> what do you think of uh, Mr. Wink? This gigantic troll-like guy with a hand of, like, a metal hand, but it can, like, pew, shoot and retract, like, scorpion style. But Yeah, it's got like the chain, retracting chain, chain and stuff. Yeah. What a cool idea. Dude, I'm not, I can't knock anything that we're going to be talking so about this movie. Cool. It's yeah. just so cool. Um, and we've never seen nothing like that before. 
I mean, I could compare it to be like, oh, it's like Scorpion, but it's a fist. Oh, he's like, he's like Massive Universe Fisto, but it, but it has a chain on it. And, uh. <laughs> but nobody, nobody ever thought to combine Fisto with Scorpion. If Fisto, the Massive Universe, and Scorpion fucked and were able to have a baby, it would be this creature, Mister Wink. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Who, was it? Was it Mister Wink or just Wink? He wink, Wink, but, but Prince Nuwata is a classy dude. He calls him Mr. Wink because he's a classy oh, okay. guy because he has class. Uh, yeah, by the way, that big monster, who's a total fucking puppet animatronic yeah. costume. I mean, it's incredible, this creature that they designed. It's to- no CGI. It's totally fucking there on screen. Played by uh, a man named Brian Steele who kind of mm. like Doug Jones is known primarily for a lot of his uh, uh, physicality acting. This guy has played predators. He's played underworld werewolves. He played a minotaur in both your highness and anchorman too. Uh, he's like the modern day Kevin Peter Hall, if you will, which right. appropriately enough, he got his start playing Harry in Harry and the Hendersons, the TV show, which Kevin Peter Hall originally originated along with the predator. After John Claude Van Damme quit, so that way too much info. Way too much info. And now you know. And now you know. (laughs) Then I just shit on like I hate a guy who's just like an information dump, and now I'm just doing it. And just dump a lot of information on us. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, um, so we have obviously Ron Perlman back as Hellboy. Pretty much still looking the same. I mean, as far as the design goes, right? They didn't really change up anything. No, Rick Baker couldn't come back for this one. They have a different man who's... Uh, I wish I had his name. Someone else had to do the makeup. But uh, it, it, it still works for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and of course, a lot of... The, I mean, the cast is pretty much all back. So Blair's back as Liz. Doug Jones back as Abe Sapien. Now, um, they did a little something different with uh, Abe Sapien in this one where... Um, <laughs> again, more... Um, overall for everybody in this movie as far as the characters goes but it felt like there's more development with the characters and they had, all the characters in this movie seem to have purpose or there's something for the characters to do like in this particular case um, when they all go to was it the troll market and mm, love that scene so much yes it was yeah. it, it was oh. like I was like a little kid watching that it was so much magic and wonder all at once. It was like that Diagon Alley scene in Harry Potter. I don't know if you know what that is. I, I probably know what you're talking about. I just don't know the name of what you're talking it's about. Where yeah. Harry, um, it's where Harry Potter first goes to Diagon Alley, and he, he's like for, he's like really immersed for the first time in, a, in the wizarding world, and there's just craziness and magic and fantas- fantastic shit going on all over, all around him. Hmm. In fact, when I was watching that scene, I rewound it, I muted the TV, and I pulled up the score from Harry Potter, and I watched that scene with the... <laughs> Harry Potter music, and it worked. It worked really, really well. It's funny, yeah. (laughs) But I love that troll market scene. And everywhere you look, like, crazy creatures and monsters. Like, there's this one monster with, like, a baby, but it's growing out of him. (laughs) Like, what the fuck is that? It's in... It's not not a a baby. It's, It's, It's not a baby. It's a tumor. Oh, but like <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, the amount of of just creativity mm-hmm. in this scene uh, uh, staggers me. 
Oh yeah, like the, it, it, literally yeah. what you're just saying. It's like you turn you turn this way, you see something. Turn this way, you see there's something everywhere. Now they get into that whole market scene uh, with the help of a new character in this movie, uh, Johann Kraus. Um, Johann Kraut. Kraus. No, Kraus. I thought it was Kraus. He calls him Kraut, like a Kraut. Oh, oh, and he goes he right, goes yeah, Kraus yeah. with two S's. Yeah, double S. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, you know right. he goes. He goes. That's right. I forgot goes, about that. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. goes. Kraus, double S. Yeah, SS. Gotcha. Because <laughs> you would think about it, Hobo was born in World War Two, yeah. so right. You know. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Johann Kraus. Voiced by Voice. uh, Seth Mf- Seth McFarlane. Okay. Um, your thoughts about that? I remember watching this movie when it came out. It was like, ha ha ha. Seth Seth McFarlane's doing a voice. Whatever. Just, Okay, because that was back when Family Guy was all over the fucking place. But now it's like, yeah, okay, it's Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> like, and it doesn't really bother me. I mean, but because uh, it's not yeah, over I the mean, top, he's just like a German voice. <laughs> he's a caricature of a German voice. Yeah. A, I mean, Seth MacFarlane is not a linguist, so oh, well, he does yeah, it, he, yeah. he does it in a very cartoony way. I didn't really have a problem with him as a voice actor. Like I said, you, I mean, you could tell he's not actually German. He's doing a, a caricature, a stereotypical sure. version. But the fact that it's Seth MacFarlane, it's kind of distracting. Like, it, it's like, it's, it's it's almost like stunt casting in a way. It just it maybe for the time that it was recorded. Back then it was. I can see what you're saying. Well, for... more so now, I think, because he's gotten only more famous. You think? No. I, I can see where you're coming from on that, but for me, like, when I was, I was, I just watched it yesterday, for God's sake. It was like, oh, and I even, I, I was watching it, and it was like, oh, I, I forgot he did the voice. And then I just kept on carrying on, but it didn't really bother me. I mean, I didn't think, oh, my God, it's Seth MacFarlane the whole time. But uh, maybe I, was, I was just distracted. I was like, it's a hell boy. You know, you, you need to stay focused and... I was like, it was. It kept distracting me. I couldn't not not really? hear hmm. Seth MacFarlane. Wow. Okay. Not not here. Not here. <laughs> not here. I don't. I don't know. I, I. I mean, I'm not knocking his performance. I think it was fine. Uh, Guillermo was a fan of his. Guillermo loved what he did, and then if that's what he was going for, more power, Guillermo. Great, mm-hmm. and he did what Guillermo asked him. But uh, I have a different history with Seth MacFarlane than Guillermo does, obviously. So yeah. Right. <laughs> I did like Doug um, Jones yeah. as the voice, uh, as opposed to David Hyde Pierce. Not that I'm saying he's better, but I think the fact that it was actually Doug Jones doing the voice, we talked about this earlier. It 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 it, it made Abe more present. Um, you know, one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie, the whole saga almost, is when Abe. And Hellboy are both drunk, or they're mm. drinking tecates, and they're both, uh, you know, talking about their their women troubles. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, first off, how human is that? <laughs> Just have a beer and talk about like women. Am I right? But this is a red demon and a blue fish man. Uh, but it, but it doesn't seem weird that scene. You, right. you take it totally as this, and you just see the humanity of both these characters coming through because these are just these are some guys who are just having some trouble with their ladies and are having a beer talking about it. That's as human as you can get. Yeah. First of all, when Guillermo was getting ready to do Hellboy 2, 
and the script started to circulate, and he left out this delicious little tidbit that at one point, Abe Sapien and Hellboy were going to get drunk on Tecate beer and sing Barry Manilow. Um, nobody believed it. And because, like, who does that? Who in, does that? In a superhero comic book movie, right? But it's so genius. And it's probably my favorite moment in the, in the two films. Well, yeah, and plus, you've they've already been you've already been invested in this whole world that he created. I mean, you're already invested in these characters, so yeah, they're going to be, you, you know, just drinking beers, talking about women troubles, things like that. And yeah, you're you're not you're not even you're not even questioning it. You're just okay. That's why you that's listen that. to Barry Manilow. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, I agree with you. I there was. Um, there was one scene. Um, oh, where they're they're fighting the. Uh, they're in that. Uh, the. It wasn't the auction house, was it? Where they're fighting all those little bugs everywhere. Yeah, that's the auction yeah. house. The tooth fairies. Yeah, the tooth fairies. Thank you. Um, and just seeing like Abe Sapien and and Hellboy and Liz all in there fighting together and everything is like, damn, that's like the one thing I don't think we got in the first movie, but it works so well in this movie. You see the interactions between all three characters and how they're um, working together. And I think you mentioned it uh, a while back about how Liz is more confident in her abilities and what she's doing and she's out there fighting and stuff. And um, I just like that whole scene, that whole fight scene with them in that um, in the auction house. But uh, that was one thing, I, like I was saying, I think that was missing from that first movie was just the... Um, Interaction between these characters. Did you like how? What did you think of Liz's new look, like fire, fire, like gold, red fire, as opposed to blue fire from the first movie? I did notice it was. I mean, obviously it was different. Um, but uh, okay, let me ask you this: in the in the comics, <laughs> is it blue? Is it blue or fire colored? I asked you that question first, and you said you answered with well, "Let me ask you this." And it's, I ask your opinion on the cinematic fire. If I tell you what the comic book fire is, that might sway you. Okay, fair enough. I don't know the the blue. I, I kind of like the blue only because it's speak different. on it, son. Just just pick one. No, no, no. Because look, it's it's blue. The blue flame was different than what we normally see. But the I think in Hellboy two, I think it's it still look cool regardless, regardless either way. But uh, fuck it, I'll say Hellboy two. The the, the regular fire colored there. Good answer. That's the correct answer because uh, there's no right or wrong answer. No, uh, I don't know. Um, in the books, it is regular fire looking. Uh, the sad thing yeah. is, whenever whenever you said congratulations, that was the right answer. I was like, I almost got proud of myself for a second, <laughs> and then you're just joking. Well, it's kind of well. It, no, well, it is kind of the right answer. Yeah. Guillermo well, says it was a it was an evolution of her fire because. When she was in part one, she was reluctant. She was keeping it like close to her chest. Mm-hmm. It was she. She didn't want to do it full fire, so it was kind of blue. Yeah. But in her dream sequences, it was fire, fire, like red fire, because yeah. that's the way natural fire was. So in the second movie, when she's more confident, she's red fire. So it's an evolution. So that's how her fire should be. Right. So you were right. <laughs> Cupid all for, for the contestant over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But okay, but there, there's the scene we're talking about in the auction house with all the little, the little bitty baby tooth fairies running all over the place. Okay, Guillermo, do you ever listen to his commentaries? His director commentaries, 
Mm, don't think so. They'll make you feel like a piece of shit. You think you understand movies, and then you realize, like, oh my god, every aspect of this movie, from the lighting to the wallpaper to, to everything, is something he's planned to visually mm-hmm. tell his story. It's insane. You know, the, the in this movie, uh, obviously Liz gets Liz gets pregnant, is pregnant with that woods baby, and 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 motherhood and babies are a big metaphor and and iconography throughout the whole film you know that gun like i'm gonna get big baby you know hey you woke up the baby when they're in that auction house that giant huge statue of a pregnant fertility god mm-hmm. you know there's a scene where the where the tooth fairies are about to like protrude through the wall and they're like they're bending it like a like a pregnant belly and um as they start smashing through 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 the wall it starts to smash in the shape of fallopian tubes and 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 when they they say something about babies you know abe has his hand on her and the camera like the little camera they brought in is focused on liz on her belly like there's so many subtle things referencing all that kind of stuff that i didn't even put together until i have guillermo lay it out and explain it to me and i realized i did not understand anything i'm a fucking i'm a retard (laughs) I don't. I, uh, this guy is just beyond. <laughs> he's levels beyond. We, that's what I'm saying. We will not appreciate this guy till long after he's gone, and then we'll go back and we'll dissect his movies the way we dissect like Kubrick films or something. Yeah. We're gonna start to dissect this man's movies. What'd you think of the um, the forest god, the elemental that um, that little seed that he they a got- seed. Mm. Oh, hey, there's another one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Started as a seed, yeah. Uh, I thought it was cool. I thought, mm. I mean, visually it looked cool the way the leaves folded up and it created, the way the leaves mm. folded back to create like a menacing face. Yeah. Like, that was brilliant. That was brilliantly designed. But the how conflicted Hellboy was because, you know, Nawada says like it's the last of its being. You, you were more closely related to it than you are to the humans why are you fighting for the humans you're going to kill this extinct last of its race being for what for shopping malls and blue jeans and, and all the kind of shit the humans value and, and Hellboy has that gun aimed and 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 Seth is like take the shot little boy shoot you know shoot him uh, and you and I was like I didn't want him to take that shot mm-hmm. I wanted this being to just lay green and grass and nature all over that just just fucking spew just jizz all over the place <laughs> his fucking nature juice all over the walls of buildings and have grass growing well guess what it did <laughs> well it was like his head blood but i wanted to see this elemental like literally jerk off because if you type, that's if, a different if, type of movie, my friend. No, no, no. If you, if you look closely, the tentacle, the tentacly, tentacly uh, legs, he has three tentacles. Oh Jesus! It's a Man. male. No, no. Guillermo says that on the commentary. If you look closely, you'll see it has three <laughs> tentacles. In case you're wondering if it is a female elemental or a male elemental, it is a male <laughs> elemental. So I was hoping to see it like just with the power of its nature splooge. Just create, just like, just, he splooshes against the wall, and then, like, Captain Planets just, like, start bursting from it. <laughs> is what I was hoping. That did not happen in that scene. Hellboy kills it. Mm-hmm. 
saves the baby, gets no appreciation from the crowd. Right? Like, there, there's so many different things going on in this this whole scene here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I agree with you where there was that little slight hesitation of him before he, sh- he killed the elemental. And uh, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't... I can see it going either way. And that was timed just right. So, uh, But, yeah, he shot him. You see the 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 brain goop or whatever it was fall down and then as soon as everything hit the ground it like turns everything into like moss almost pretty much like it's grassy and mossy and everything. but uh visually it looked cool <laughs> it looked almost beautiful the way it was like yeah uh, and it makes you start feeling regret like if this is this guy this beans death rattle that his dying blood creates this what could it have done had it had it had the go ahead to just just you know what if this creature had had sprouted out in some sort of barren landscape mm-hmm. could it have created fields of gold you know of, of like sting would sing about it's just that's a sting song uh you know what could it have done what could it have created i guess we'll never know because hellboy shot him in the head Cause hell, cause fucking Seth MacFarlane. I put this on Seth MacFarlane, not the not not the character, no, the actor, the actor Seth MacFarlane, star of the Orville, did this to us. So let let me ask you this. Okay, so he's this whole time, yeah. So the whole time he's he's the holding Orville his baby is brown water trash. <clears throat> yes. Okay, focus, man. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> hate the Orville. Um. So he's he's got this baby, right? Uh, because before all this happened, this woman was banging on her car. Their baby was acting. So he ripped the door off. He got the baby out. But they scurried. The, the, they, took, they ran the, the mother off to get her to safety. But he only had time to get, get the baby out of the car before the car was destroyed. So he had to do everything with the baby. But did the, the, the mother not see all this was going on? Like She was like, pissed that uh, he saved the baby. This right? mother... The uh, the mother uh, clearly voted for Trump. She's the mother's a fucking idiot. She just uh, doesn't see the issue. She just sees the problem at the end of the road and invents shit. Like first off, she's standing outside of her car at the at the back seat, banging as if like what the baby's gonna wake up and open the door. Like what is she banging on the door? Like my baby's. A- Why did you get out of your car without securing your baby? <laughs> Or why did you... So, first off, she should have her kids taken away. Call Child Protective <laughs> Services. She's a fucking idiot. A. And then B, this guy does everything he can to save the baby, including tossing her, like, 50 feet in the air while he loads his gun. Mm-hmm. And then deftly right. catching her without looking, which is a very cool move, by the way. Yeah. And then he kills the demon, hands her the baby back, and then she's all like, My baby! Boo this man! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a big mob mentality. Yeah, after they're... they saw him, they saw him kill the thing that was attacking him, and yet they still, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you know, they, kind of... they hate Spider-Man too. You know, like yeah, like true. like the masses. But that's on. But but that's Jameson's fault, though. Really, if you think about it. Well, Hellboy does literally look like a demon. <laughs> Hellboy is literally he is literally a demon. He's half demon. But, he could um, use a good PR person. He right. could. Instead, he all he got is Jeffrey Tambor, who's just trying to put a lid on things. 
Yeah, he's trying to cover up everything, which is funny. Like, I don't know. I, I, I just like the... Uh, the... See, that goes back. I kind of loved how they kind of, uh, uh, you know, became friends at the end of the last movie. And I hated that in this yeah. movie they were at odds all over again, probably because they kind of loved Jeffrey Tambor. But I was like, no, like, you know, come on. You guys were so close to being buddies last movie. Why can't you be buddies again? He bought Jeffrey Tambor brought him Cuban cigars. Hello. Yeah. He even, you know, he held them out like these are Cubans, these are good. You know. <laughs> Olive branch, man. Exactly. And I love that scene where help where where they're in the troll market and Mr. Wink shows up and he's trying to smash uh the princess and Abe Sapien and they manage to get away and then Hellboy's standing there like, I got this and he lights <laughs> his cigar. He's like, Get out of here, Abe. Get out of here, Blue. Like, he who lights a cigar as they're about to start a fight? <laughs> like, what fucking confidence? Like, obviously, like, this guy's not... I'm going to light the cigar as I'm about to fight this guy. Obviously, it doesn't go the way he thought. He, he smashes Hellboy's face, and he, his cigar falls in the water. That was Cuban! <laughs> and, and now he has to actually fight him. But, like, the confidence to light the cigar... As you're about to start the fight, like, come on, that is fucking cool. And then that scene where, you know, they're fighting and everything, and you can see this guy's kind of Hellboy's equal, and both of their their metal fist and their yeah. right hand of Doom fist collide, mm-hmm. and Hellboy just smashes the hell out of that other dude's fist. That was epic. And then we get the finale of that fight, where he's standing in front of whatever is supposed to be this grinding machine. <laughs> um and then you can see, like, Hellboy sees him, like, looking at his fist, looking at him. Like, he knows he's about to shoot the don't do fist it. out. Like, like, yeah, like, don't do it. And he did it. And he just just dodged out of the way. And uh, almost, like, off screen, we see him, like, going through the grinder. Yeah. <laughs> the scene isn't about his demise. It's just sort of, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's something that happened. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, and that's when the little, uh, one of his little creatures goes to tells the prince that, uh, Wink is dead, and I did like the reaction that he gave whenever he found out that he died. Like that shock, he like kind of, I think he like did he stand up, but he like he like stood back or whatever for um because he his henchman died. Yeah, did he seem sad? Almost, I, I don't thought. remember. I mean, like you asked me, what's the character's name? It says Wink, but he calls him Mister. He even says like, "Hello, my friend." He calls him my friend. Yeah. Yeah, you know this is a guy who, you know, he hates humans. He loves his, his, his. I don't know how to his race, not his race, the world he comes from. Yeah, the fantastic world that lies underneath the surface of what we consider our reality. Mm-hmm. He's from that. His plan is to bring that about. He hates hiding in the shadows, the way his father, uh, Prince or King Baylor. Uh, who who is he? Pl- he's played by uh, Roy Detrice, uh, who I wish had a scene with Hellboy because Roy Detrice was a big part of Beauty and the Beast, the TV show. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, him him and the Beast had like this whole thing. Uh, he's an actor. Who, he 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 died a couple years ago, sadly, because he reads all the Game of Thrones books, and now he's gone. So we're we need to cast a new person to read the Game of Thrones books. <laughs> I did have a couple questions while I was watching this movie. So I don't want to say negatives, but uh, 
Well, I have a couple answers for you. Oh, I bet you do. Okay, so we, we mentioned this before, this little crown. Okay, so the prince gets the two pieces of the crown, and his sister has the third piece, and she's hiding it from him throughout the whole movie, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, finally, he gets it at one point. Um, but they know that they can't let him have it. Why didn't they just have Liz melt that piece of crown down? Like, if she had the ability... I mean, if that was the whole thing that could have stopped all this from happening, from him raising this army, why didn't they just do that and just be done with it? And, especially since she actually ended up doing that after the fact. Like, they got the crown back, and then she just melted the whole thing down. So, well, they okay, could have been, well, the whole thing could have been avoided, right? Well, obviously, well... Um... She didn't know she could do that, and nobody brought it to Liz because she was sequestered in her room as being crazy and pregnant. Hmm. And so she was just in her room the whole time watching Teen Mom and other shit. Uh, She didn't know anything about this crown. To be fair, they didn't know anything about the crown until the princess showed up, and she only told Abe. And Abe was keeping it very secret because even when he That's found true. the other crown, he still kept it secret. So Hellboy and Liz didn't even know about the crown. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that because, yeah, it was Boom. Abe was Lawyer. trying to keep everything. Shut up. All right, so. Um, what they, else you got? Uh... Hit me. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> uh... Oh, I did have a question, but I found the answer to it. Um, so it's. Give me the question. I can still tell you what the question. Okay, maybe I'll um, have the same answer. Okay, I'm sure you will. I, I have. This is fun. <laughs> okay, this is almost like a softball question, but okay, they made a point to acknowledge the breathing apparatus that Abe has to wear oh, um, that okay. he has in the first half of this movie, but in the second half of the movie, he doesn't have it at all. So I, when before I found out the answer, I was like, well, why? Why does he not have the breathing apparatus the last half of this movie when he's out and about doing everything? Um, but instead of me saying the answer, I'll, I'll give it to you because I know you want to. You'll say the answer. Of course, I know the answer. I, I wasn't but, questioning you if you knew the answer. But <laughs> you uh, obviously researched it. You could probably speak on it better than me. So please. Oh, oh, okay. He wears contact lenses. Yes, he does. And there's yeah. this thing he. Well, go on. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's a scene where almost as if he's trying to be not, more human. Yeah, and kind of kind of impress the princess, I guess, because uh, he put the contacts on right in front of her. He's like, "Hey, I'm trying this out." But like, apparently, right after that, there was a deleted scene where he's like spray some stuff on his gills to help him breathe, and uh, but that was taken. That was that was deleted for some reason. I don't know why that was deleted, but. Uh, but it doesn't. I mean, like, like I said, the the your mainstream moviegoer doesn't go in knowing that he can't breathe outside of, of of water. You know, but they made they a don't point know the of rules. it. They, they they acknowledge it. No, no, that's not. No, I'm going to disagree with you because they acknowledge that in the very beginning of this movie, where they even talk about the toilet seat. The the media was calling it the toilet well, seat around his neck. It's and a his, breathing device. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, lawyered, right? Is that is that what you're going to say? That's a, that's a the thing. That I can do is right there, lawyered. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to open this Pandora's box, my friend. <laughs> Pandora's Pandora's box to Pan's Labyrinth or whatever. I don't know. So yeah, that was that. 
Unless you had it's some a spray, other... it's contacts. I mean, these are clearly okay. just things to shut up people who want to point out holes. You know, who gives a shit if Abe can breathe or not? You know, does that really matter at the end? Of the because day? they made a point. They made it a point in the beginning of the movie that he has a breathing apparatus. Because they because they thought that they would have the time, so they filmed it. But then they had to cut it because who really at the end of the day who gives a shit? <sighs> Fine, I'll go fuck myself then. Okay, so what else we got? Um, I mean, got Abe the, uh... in the books. If you want to get it, uh, you want to get in the nitty gritty. Abe in the books doesn't even have psychic powers. Well, this whole movie's bullshit then. That was, well, that's what I'm saying. You know, like they, it's about ad- adapting <laughs> things that make for a good movie. And if you're writing scenes that are literally trying to backpedal and explain things, that's not fun. That's not well, advancing how's the script. It's it's explaining the fact that he's he can breathe. How's exactly. that? How's that? It's just, it's it's closing a, a question. Is that advancing the story? Is it advancing the plot? Is it adding to the character? No, it's not. It's just it's an annoyance. Know? That's what it is. For people like you and me who give a shit about such things, it is. <laughs> Breathing. Like me. No big deal. Who, yeah. Who read the books. Yeah. Read the yes, books. We, yes, we know you read the books. God damn. All right. Lawyered. <laughs> you know what one of my favorite scenes was in this movie? All of them? Two for, I don't know. Uh, pretty much. Well, one of them is in the locker room. <laughs> it's in the locker room. I mean, how human is that? Hellboy just got out the shower, and uh, uh, Agent uh, Kraus, Johan Kraus, Evan Farland's ghost. Oh entity. yes, yeah, that was a good scene. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> but it's not even—it's not even the scene where he kicks his ass. It's leading up to it, and oh, okay. he's Johan says something like, uh, "Like, like, uh, by the way, I could take away your badge." And and uh, Hellboy says, not even t- to Johan, almost to himself, like, "Never had one." Kept asking though. <laughs> the idea that Hellboy keeps asking, like, "Hey man, don't you think I should have a badge? Wouldn't it help out if I had like a real badge?" Like, again, he this is a, this is a kid who who went to bed carrying a little six shooter toy, right? Like he loves the idea of being a cowboy. He would probably love the idea of carrying a badge. Mm-hmm. It is it it's a humanizing moment, man. It's. Never had one. Kept asking though. Oh, that is so fucking cute. I can I I I can imagine a deleted scene where he walks in like Manning's office, like maybe a badge will make me more legit, and I'll be much more covert if I'm an official agent with a badge. You know, like uh I love that scene. But and uh, then, but that wouldn't advance the story. So why even bother filming it, right? It would humanize the character. No, like like making him breathe. Yeah. So, uh... How does that advance? Anyway, one thing I love about this story, though, is it's... it's This whole movie is kind of a uh, a day in the life of the BPRD, you know? The first movie was all about Hellboy himself as a character and his destiny and Anunun Rama and all that kind of stuff. And this movie was... It wasn't about that. It was about just uh, this is the case we're working. You know, mm-hmm. there's one scene in the middle of the movie where they get those uh, the Schuftine glasses, these crazy steampunk lenses and everything like that, and they allow you to see trolls and everything. And uh, Hellboy's like, by the way, these glasses, and they shift the lenses, and click, he's got full horns. Yeah. He's got the fire. He's like, how do you know those things even work? 
<laughs> like that scene was just sort of remind you, by the way, this is always lurking under the surface. Like we're right. not going to delve into it, but by the way, that's always there. It makes you wonder though, these lenses, they allow you to see what magical creatures see. When Hellboy goes into the troll market, does everyone look at him and see that? Probably. Do they see a guy with big ass horns and a burning crown above his head? You would think that would draw more attention to him, but uh, they didn't seem to notice or say anything. I don't know. I thought that was cool. And I, 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 again, at the end, when they, when he's got the the lance in his heart, and they go and they meet, quote unquote, an angel of death. Which, yeah. oh god, this this fucking creature design? Are you kidding me? Get, get the fuck out. I want to punch <laughs> you in your face. You're so fucking creative. Fuck you, Guillermo. Do you like Do you like the Angel of Death, or do you like the Fawn from Pain's Labyrinth? I like the Angel of Death because it's it's got no eyes. Death mm-hmm. ha- has no vision. Death, right. you know, there's, there, yeah. But all the eyes are within the wings. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Uh, the fawn is a fawn. It's just, a, it's just a fawn. It's just a satyr. It's just, it's like anything. It looks cooler, but, but uh, when when some buddy on Guillermo's staff brought him the design of this uh, angel of death character, the big old clay sculpture of it, Guillermo was like, I like, but Guillermo smashed the face, <laughs> rubbed out the <laughs> eyes. I think it should be a flat face. Like, <laughs> Guillermo just did that that's what he does he's like but it would look better if it was like that and he just smashed the face in <laughs> and funny. rubbed it out and and because that's how Guillermo saw it and that's what he does because he is he has such creative control over everything obviously he has so many hats to wear he can't personally sculpt every creature and personally mm-hmm. you know supervise everything but yeah he will smash your sculpture's <laughs> face in <laughs> Because that's his vision. No, I thought it was brilliant. Again, Doug Jones played that. And again, they hinted a little bit when they bring a dying Hellboy and, and, mm-hmm. and Death is like, Anununrama. And Simon Blair's like, how do you know that name? And she's and Death is like, I will save him. But his destiny is still, you know, to, 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 to do some shit. <laughs> Can you live with that? And she's like, I'll deal with it then. Yeah. All right then, and it was sort of setting up Hellboy three. So yes. this whole movie, like I said, it's it's a random BPRD adventure, but there's still a moment, you know, with the glasses, and a moment at the end mm-hmm. to sort of remind you that that this destiny is still looming. Yeah, and it, and it's... it was great that the movie wasn't bogged down with this whole Anunun Rama destiny. Yeah, and as good as that is, man, it just makes it kind of heartbreaking the fact that we never got the the payoff to. To that storyline, because it was definitely foreshadowed, um, at least to me. I, I thought that's where they were going with the third movie. Uh, uh, big time. Yeah. But we'll get to that here in just a second. Um, what do you think of the actual Golden Army? The robots? I, I thought they were cool. Um, they were so, like, like sturdy, like, 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 like heavy in the waist. Like, their center of gravity was so low, like... Like that would be a hard soldier to defeat because it's so like, like, you know, stocky. Hmm. You know, it, they reminded me of. Uh, do you ever see uh, Return to Oz? The the little well, character TikTok. Yeah, 
<laughs> uh, army 70 times 70 tiktoks uh yeah a little bit right yeah. i thank the, the, god none the of round, the soldiers yeah. decided to just like spin around mm-hmm. and start knocking wheelies over uh fuck return to oz that's a movie i i have not revisited in years and i'm scared to right yeah I know. everybody is um, I did not, like no, the, not like, not just because it scared the shit out of me as a kid, but I'm a, I'm scared this it won't be as good. Mm. I thought it was brilliant as a kid. What if I watch it and it sucks? You know, <laughs> I hold it really high, and I'm afraid it doesn't. I'm afraid it will not hold up. Do you really hold it that high? Really? Yeah. It scared the shit out of me as a kid, yeah. and not a lot of movies did as a kid yeah. because I was even as a kid I was so into movies. I understood how movies were made. I understood yeah. effects and makeup and stuff. I remember watching like behind the scenes making of thriller video and that's how I learned who Rick Baker was. And I was mm-hmm. like eight and I was like, like, Oh, makeup and blah, blah, blah. So I, I forgot what I was going to say. We, we started got off on a tangent on return. Yeah, Rick Baker uh, does not do the makeup. Um, so in that same scene, Liz, like, like the angel of death says, I will take out that silver shard. Mm-hmm. But he that that sort of leaves him open to fulfill his destiny. Liz says, "I'll deal." She kind of makes like a like a Faustian bargain with him. Uh, I don't know. I I kind of love Liz a little bit more for that. Like she Wait, says, she throws to. caution in the wind, and she says, "To hell with! I don't care. Just give me back my man. Give me back my baby daddy." <laughs> yeah. It's her baby daddy, you know. Yeah. Um, the the humanity be damned. My baby gonna have a daddy, <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's Liz. Miss Liz gonna have a baby daddy. <laughs> Is that in your notes? Yeah. That's in my notes. Okay. Um, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about when I mentioned earlier about the stuff I like about this movie. Is uh, besides the story being a lot stronger than the first one, uh, I thought there was more. Um, emotion inserted throughout for almost everybody like Liz being pregnant and dealing with that struggling with even just telling Hellboy about it you know but much less dealing with it herself um, Abe falling for the princess and then the I guess the tragic end of what she did at the end because they couldn't stop because they didn't want to hurt the prince because they said if you hurt him you hurt her so yeah they're like so what, is, what, is, what did they do? If you if yeah. you hurt one, you hurt the other one. Yeah. You ever you want Corsican Brothers are right? Um, no, but I was originally thinking something else. But go ahead. What? Oh well. You ever see uh, the movie The Corsican Brothers with Chi Chong? No. Where they play brothers who like you hurt one of them, the other one feels the pain, and they're these brothers in the French Revolution. It's Chi Chong Chong the French Revolution, but the <laughs> villain of the movie is Roy Dutrice. <laughs> He plays the evil Fouquet. Roger Trace is the fairy king in this movie. So it <laughs> all, all full circle. All... Yeah, I my my Chichen Chong die drive is uh, legitimized. There you go. <laughs> um, my dumbass simple mind was just thinking. Uh, Tomax. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course you were. <laughs> but I'm not wrong. Okay, so anyway, so yeah, she, she ended up uh, stabbing herself to kill to kill her brother, ending 
ending him. So that's the when they sacrifice. got the crown, melted it down, and yeah, this whole self sacrifice. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's kind of a tragic end to all this, and then um, to the hopefulness. And, and, at the and end. Abe was in love with her. You know, yeah, we didn't even yeah. talk about that fact. Well, we did a little bit when they were drinking, yeah. and but you know, the thing is, like Abe just met her, but like there's that moment where he meets her. He's like, my name is Abraham Sapien. She goes, there's no such name. Give me your hand. And she touches it. And she's like, you are a member of the BPRD. And your name is Abraham Sapien. <laughs> like, he was telling the truth. I am Princess Nuella. Yes. While you were learning about me, I couldn't help learning a little bit about you. So they're both psychically linked. Right. They're in each other's heads. So you sort of believe that they could be in love because they're in you know this is not a connection that we as people can understand they're of another world and they connect in a way we can never understand psychically uh i thought it was great and i thought they were uh, they were able to sort of jump the hurdles of come on they just met yeah but they're not human and they're psychic so i, I bought it like it, yeah it i bought it me. they're in like, love I, so, but yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Everything was just, you know, hitting on all strides in this movie, man. So much better than the first movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's way better, I think. Okay, so I mentioned before, it had a little bit of higher budget. I want to throw this out here real quick. So, um, this one had a budget about $85 million. Gross, it's, uh, in the U.S., it did uh, $75 million. So not too good in the in the U.S., but worldwide, all together with foreign in, in U.S., uh, 160 million. So mm. almost doubled, almost doubled the money altogether. But uh, and that's why we're getting to the issues of why the studio never wanted to greenlight. Um, well, do you wonder why it, it, for lack of a better word, I, I won't say fail, but basically fail. Um, yes, the first movie like barely broke even. Turned. Mm-hmm. It made a bit of change for Revolution. Next movie comes out, Universal pockets a little bit of change, but this movie had the unfortunate... I was about to say advantage. <laughs> the unfortunate placement of being released one week before The Dark Knight. And obviously, yeah. The Dark Knight yeah. obliterated all <laughs> ticket sales after that. So they had one week... And they were number one at the box office, and they made a good chunk of change. And then the Dark Knight showed up, and nobody anticipated that would be the juggernaut that it was. So, you know, had this movie been released a month earlier, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? But uh, fucking Dark... Another reason for me to fucking hate Dark Knight. Thanks, Heath Ledger. Dude. Jerk. You got to pour a little bit of beer on the floor, man, for the homies that ain't here. (laughs) Sorry, Heath. Love you, bro. Come come on. We're going to be talking about him again soon because his name's going to come up again. Joker's Mm. coming out soon. True. But, uh, yeah, this Hellboy 2 uh, had the unadvantageous courtesy of being released one week before Dark Knight. Yeah, it's like it made gangbusters, but uh, Dark Knight. I mean, yeah. do I have to explain it? 
the studio didn't anticipate that. Although, to be honest, I wonder if the studio would have even cared. They didn't seem to have a lot of faith in this project. Now, you would think, okay, Guillermo goes on. He does other things. He goes on to win the... He goes on to create The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. A, a brilliant film. It's, again, I want to punch Guillermo in his gut and in his face. Because I, I, I'm hoping, like, some of his talent will just, like, his sweat or his blood will rub off on me because it's it's not fair that one man like has that, this man. much talent in him. It's ridiculous. Shape <laughs> of Water, it, it, it's, it's, oh God, I can't even talk about it. So you would think a guy like that, right, could do what he wants. Right. If Guillermo says, I want to do Hellboy 3, mm-hmm. what studio wouldn't want to be in the Guillermo business? Right? Yeah. But sadly, Hellboy 3... Even though it was totally set up, Hellboy's going to have twin babies. Mm-hmm. They're going to be quarter demons. Yeah. Maybe have maybe have horns, maybe have tails. Who knows? Uh, it never. It, sadly, it never came to pass. Uh, Guillermo, as talented as he was, he got wrapped up in so many other projects. He got wrapped up making uh, At the Mountain of Madness, which, by the way, if anybody ever decides to adapt Lovecraft... Uh, it better fucking be Guillermo. Yeah. yeah. It, it fucking better be. Uh, he he got wrapped up doing a, a Halo movie. I don't know if you ever heard about this. A Halo movie was in the works for years. Guillermo was attached. And, of course, obviously never came about. Obviously, the biggest one, The Hobbit. Guillermo was invested for like two years writing The Hobbit, working on The Hobbit, creating all the pre-production of The Hobbit. When it came time to shoot, the studio didn't have as much. What the fuck? New Line? Fuck you, dude. This guy just made the best movie of the year. This guy made Pan Labyrinth. And you don't have the faith in him that you're going to fucking cut his creative leash? Fuck you. Guillermo walked. Two years. Two years he invested in trying to make The Hobbit. So what happened? Okay, so he wrote. He originally wrote The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. And they decided not to use the script or something or what? Uh, I, I'm a mad. I don't know what happened because Guillermo, you know, the official story is oh creative differences. Mm, Guillermo yeah, walked away. Yeah. I'm imagine what I imagine is Guillermo's creativity was just too much, too big a budget. I'm imagining Guillermo's mind. Uh, Guillermo's mind is bigger than any Hollywood executive's checkbook. <laughs> Nobody has the courage to match his mind. At this point today, for better or worse, you're as known for the movie you didn't do, The Hobbit, as the ones that you did. Yeah. How hard was it to walk away from that film after working on it in pre-production for so long? It doesn't get harder than, than that. I mean, it's the hardest decision I've ever taken. I have incredible heartache. I feel uh, terrible about it. It's very hard. It's getting a little easier to talk about it, but essentially it's like you've been recently widowed and everybody asking you exactly how your wife died. It's pretty morbid. And what helped you make that decision? Time. I feel like the guy in this, uh, in the in the real life experience that uh, Danny Boyle just did his movie is I was hanging by a thread of my arm for so long that at the end of the day, 
you have to cut it off. And, you know, do I like having one arm less? No. But did I have to? Yes. Uh, so he left. Imagine, imagine if they did. Oh God! Can you imagine a Hobbit movie with Guillermo at the helm? It might even be, might even be watchable. <laughs> might even be. So yeah, Halo, Mountain Madness, Hobbit, all this kind of. He spent so many years developing all these other fucking projects, and in that time, the market kind of changed. Mm-hmm. Streaming services showed up, mm-hmm. and then DVD profits were getting eaten away by streaming services. You know, like I said. Uh, Hellboy didn't do gangbusters at the box office, but they sort of helped break even a little bit with DVD sales. But now we're in a new era. DVD sales weren't breaking even anymore. Everybody's just streaming shit. Now studios are only investing in shit where they can make their money back at the box office. Right. And and Hellboy 1 and 2 never really made a ton of money at the box office. So. Plus, you know... Today, Ron Perlman is now 68 years old. Jesus, uh, I don't think he's that old. I suspect the whole thing, I suspect it's all about that Ron Perlman just doesn't want to lose the weight. I don't know, man. He was, like, <laughs> last few years, he was hyping it up, like, on social media. Like, he wanted to do it. Being honest, it's not a franchise that you want to keep going. Um, I'd like to keep it. I, I'd like to not keep it going. I'd like to. I'd like to finish it though. I'd like. I'd like for there to be a third film because the the first two films were set up for this huge resolve, and he already understands what that resolve will kind of look like. And in, he he never gave me the nuts and bolts of it, but he gave me a a, a rather broad stroke sketch of what the third film would look like, and it's so epic. And it's so deserved by the fans who hung in there for the first two that I really feel as though it's essential that we make it. So I fight for it every day. Um, And sometimes I'm the only voice and sometimes, you know, there are others. But um, I'm never going to stop trying to get Hellboy 3 made. Unless he's just trying to save face. I don't know. uh... I'm sure he was, but I'm sure he hated. Uh, It's a whole thing. Um, Ron Perlman, when he was trying to get, he was in his 50s at the time. Trying to get down to the weight to fit into the Hellboy costume in Hellboy One, and Rick Baker is like, "Hey, Rick Baker is going to do a, a cast of your body," uh, and then he, he does the cast. Uh, Guillermo calls him up. He's like, "Hey, Ron, they can't do anything with that cast. Like you're too fat." <laughs> so Ron is like, "All right, give me a month." A month later, he goes back, does a body cast, but it's still not very usable because he's lost a tolo. Four pounds in this last month. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, the next day the phone rang again. Ronaldo, you are fucking killing me here. I give you a month and you lose four fucking pounds? We were clearly about to have our first fight. Do you mind if I call you fat boy? Do you realize Rick is trying to turn you into a god but needs time? To which I ran out of defensive answers and said, If you insist on hitting me with logic... You aren't going to get anywhere, goddammit. Give me another month. So he loses 20 pounds. He go, you know, So he goes in. I mean, come on, man. He's not a spring chicken anymore. It's not that easy. He's not Chris Evans. Yeah. You know, he can't just turn into a physical Adonis. You'd think these motherfuckers would learn. 
Yeah, that's that's one thing I don't think a lot of people were taking consideration whenever they're wanting and urging and, and yearning for this third movie. It was like, come on, I mean, realistically, let's let's look at the let's look at the facts here. Like the first of all, besides what you just said about uh, you know Perlman and, and his age and all that, so that's one thing. But then also, if you're a movie studio, you're looking at one thing, one thing only. You're looking at money. Bottom line. Is it going to make <laughs> us money? That's it. Yeah. So, um, and, and to your point, yeah, it's this the changing uh, environment, changing uh, industry that they're they're going through right now with streaming services and things like that. Where now, yeah, you, you kind of have to have um, something that the studios are going to have to bank on to make. I mean, Jesus. Um, Captain Marvel was is now in the billion dollar mark. That's the seventh billion dollar movie from the MCU. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna hold on. Let me get my tinfoil hat. Uh, still fits. Uh allegedly. High five. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I gave them fucking nine fifty, so yeah. <laughs> five fifty for me. I go matinee only. <laughs> Cheapskate. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I can I can definitely understand why, from a business perspective, business uh, point of view, why uh, Hellboy three wouldn't have been made. It sucks. Um, I like the cast, and I like where they were foreshadowing going to a third movie. Um, but uh, you know what? For everything else, I, I I I came up with all this research, and I said all these reasons. But I gotta wonder, man. I think I think there's enough fan service. You know, uh, I think Guillermo, like I said, he just he had just won Best Picture of mm-hmm. the Year at the Oscar. It was Shape of Water, great yeah. film. I think he could have had it made had he wanted to get it made. I think uh, Ron, he would have hated it, but he would have starved himself for a year <laughs> to fit in that. I, I think everyone, everyone would have come. I don't know. I, I wonder why it didn't happen. You should talk to Ron Perlman about that because Ron is uh, getting a little too impatient with the seven-hour makeup job and he doesn't want to do it anymore. And he's been spoiled by Sons of Anarchy, where the only makeup he wears is pancake. I would love that there's a petition going online and a trailer. Go see it, The Prince Nevada. Go to deltorofilms.com and there's a whole uh, thread about it. And some fans made a really great trailer uh, with Prince Nevada and the whole backstory. It's a pretty cool thing. Uh, Do I think it's going to happen? I don't think Universal is going to go and put uh, the necessary money to do it, but I wish they would. I'm wondering, I, th- I think there's something else. All my research gave me all these all these friendly reasons, mm-hmm. but uh, come on, Guillermo won the best fucking picture of the year. Right. He, he could he he is now king shit of fuck mountain in Hollywood. He could do whatever <laughs> he wants. <laughs> well, apparently now he's doing Pinocchio, right? <laughs> oh yeah, fuck you, Roberto Benini. 
Did you ever see that Roberto Benigni Pinocchio? Um, I, I, um, I seen he pictures it. of it. Okay, yeah. he did a foreign language film, La Vita Bella. Yeah, he won best foreign film and best mm-hmm. director, and everything. And then he used his foreign, he used his clout to make a shitty, stupid, ridiculous Pinocchio movie, and he hasn't worked in Hollywood since. <laughs> Well, that might be how Tim Burton is, because apparently Dumbo's shitting at the box office right now, too. So, Is Dumbo out already? Yeah. Nobody's seeing it? it really? It's bo- oh. It bombed. It bombed, <gasps> man. What? Yeah. No. It's, come on, it's Saturday night. It, it could, it could, uh, it's going to make it up on Sunday Dude. morning, right? <laughs> right? It opened last week, man. What? Yeah. I thought this it opened. Week is, this week is Shazam. Shazam opened up this week, and then Dumbo opened up last week. We Dumbo bombed. Yeah. Oh, that makes me sad. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. Not because of Tim Burton. Sadly, I don't care. But I mean, like, I want to see Colin Farrell and and Danny DeVito. I want to see them and Michael Keaton. I want to see them do good. And uh, that Dumbo trailer with him and his mom and the mom's trunk is crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. That scene in the original cartoon where the where the mom reaches out with her, that shit got me. Um, I'm surprised you didn't say uh, Eva Green. She's in the movie too. I know you have a thing for Eva Green. But, uh... Yeah, I love Eva Green. Yeah, that's good <laughs> that you like Eva Green. <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> All right, so um, so that's Golden Army, right? That's Hellboy in a nutshell. Yeah. No, this is Hellboy in a nutshell. Help, I'm Hellboy. I'm in a oh, nutshell. No. I, no. How did I get into this nutshell? Okay. I think some listeners have seen Austin Powers, maybe one or two. That's for you. <laughs> how did I God, get even into I got that reference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Don't give me shit when you're getting it. Don't wait. Don't give me shit when you're getting it. That sounds like I'm no. fucking. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. That, that went to. Was there. Okay. So is there. Before we wrap this thing up, is there anything else you wanted to say about the Toro's movies or Hellboy 3 that never happened? Anything? Just. Oh, God. Guillermo is so brilliant. He's such a visual storyteller. I don't. Th- he's a writer too, but I don't think he's ever gonna win like an Oscar or or an award for best screenplay. You know, yeah. With him, it's all about the visuals, and I think mm-hmm. that's why Pan's Labyrinth resonated so much with the entire world. Right. The visuals of that film transcended the language barrier. No one remembers lines about that movie. They just remember the visuals. You know, the the the, the demon with the eyes and his hands, and and the general mm-hmm. with his eye rolling back and like that. And I think that's what people take away from Hellboy is some of those visuals are so fucking brilliant and so strong, and and just creatively like who thought like when they go to that island and there's that demon who has like a wheelbarrow body. On his back, like like he's oh, yeah. part of a yeah. wheelbarrow, but he has like these wooden things on his arms. He's like Nemesis Enforcer, but opposite, and he's like crawling <laughs> around. Like, what a crazy idea of a guy who's like cut. He has no legs, but he's half yeah. wheelbarrow. He's a goblin. Yeah, 
like oh, that is such a oh my god <laughs> it's something so simple it's something so simple but you wouldn't yeah. have thought of it you know how has no one ever thought of that before a... and then he's like i need some payment to give you to to bring you down to like the to, to the fairy world the goblin world and then liz is like i have a shiny belt and, and she's like trying to like 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 scam him and she right. pulls out a pair of like shitty binoculars. She goes, "I have a set of wonderful magic eyes." And he goes, "I already have binoculars." Yeah. <laughs> that is so fucking funny. Like she's trying to scam him like he like she thinks he doesn't know modern shit, but he's like, "I already have binoculars." <laughs> <laughs> she could be like, "I have a magical uh teleport tele, you know, device. I already have an iPhone." You know, it'd be like that. <laughs> That line cracked me up, uh, and and the way he like crawls along with like these boards on his mm-hmm. board, I don't know. That's it's 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 amazing. Guillermo's mind is oh, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I would love to strip down and oil myself up and crawl around in his brain <laughs> and make love. Wait, okay, I guess I should stop there. Yeah. So, um, anticipations for the <laughs> Yes. Um, so this being rebooted, if you want to call it that? I think so. I think that's what everybody's saying. It's a reboot. I don't like that word. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a new adaptation and an already existing literary material. You know, it's like, it's like, you know. If if a vampire movie come vampire un, uh, Dracula untold right, it's not a reboot of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, it's just a new adaptation of an existing source material, right? Yeah. So I'll give you that. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's how I think of it. Um, do you know the actor David Harbor? Yes, from I know him from Stranger Things, but I think everybody knows him from Stranger Things. Yeah, that's that's his thing. That's yeah. a stranger thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's been in a lot of cool things. He was in um, uh, End of Watch. Did you ever see that movie? It's a cool movie. He's in it. <laughs> he was in um, The Newsroom. Did you ever see HBO drama Newsroom? He's in it. He's I've, seen a couple cool. of, I've seen a couple episodes of you. Yeah. I like David Harbour. I think he's fine. Yeah. I think... I think he's, you know, he's no Ron Perlman. Come on. He is. Okay, so right right there where you're saying he's he's no Ron Perlman. I think that's going to be the, I hate to say downfall of this movie, but I think there's so many people that are trying to compare what this movie's going to do or trying to do to these past two movies that I don't really think that this movie stands a chance in the perception of the minds of the audience. Cause everybody's already saying, where's Ron Perlman? I don't see, you know, it's not Ron Perlman. It's not Del Toro. Mm. Well, you know, fuck this movie, you know? And I, I don't think people are going to give it a fair shake. Eh, in a perfect world, that would be the case. But sadly, like I said, like we just talked about, not a lot of people love are, are are aware of of the Toros Hellboy movies. Uh, I think they're going to come in this with a blank slate. I hope so. I mean, yeah, 
I, I don't. I, sadly, I think uh, the people who love Del Toro's Hellboy or might be a very loud vocal minority. It's a small group of people. And I'm part of that, but I mean, I'm open to it. I'm open to a new Hellboy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to diss the new guy just because he's not Ron Perlman. Yeah, it's fucking Hellboy. I mean, come on. I mean, it's. But it's look, man. It's like I did two Hellboy movies. I invested a huge amount in in in, in playing the character. I spent a long, long time, um, really poking and prodding the bear to get the third one made. And I, I fell short. Um, Did the rug get pulled out on you guys about that one? Did you think it was going through, and then it just, or, or it was never really kind of set in stone? I never thought it was going through, okay. but I did, I did know that Guillermo had a, an amazing idea of how to close the trilogy, and it was theatrically so dynamic and so, you know, if you were a fan of the two, the first two Hellboys, not only were you going to have your, you know, the top of your head blown off by how, <laughs> by how it resolved. But um, you were going to get finally, you know, the, the 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 payoff in the investment. Right. I mean, because you know, it was always designed to be a trilogy, and the second movie ends, you know, with a with an ellipse, you know, dot dot dot. By the right. way, I'm pregnant with twins. Right. Boom, roll credits. So I felt like we had owed the fans closure, and I just couldn't. There were too many people who were moving in too many other directions that I just couldn't pull it off. So if you ask me about it, it's it's kind of a, still an open wound. Yeah. And I prefer not to really uh, – I wish everybody well, but I prefer, you know, to kind of leave it be. Okay. that's And that was, a, again, amazing work. I think that is one of the things, obviously, that you will rightfully be remembered for. You brought such – because I didn't know much about Hellboy. Um, before nobody so, did right, and from what he said, this was the, one of the great lines um, when we were doing post production for Hellboy Two, I think it was, and I walked in one day to do the the, the uh, ADR um, dialogue stuff, and Guillermo was already in the studio, and uh, he says, "My friend, I have very good news for you. <laughs> we went from a readership of six hundred thousand." To 1,200,000. That's how many people yeah. on the planet knew about Hellboy. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was one of the more obscure uh, superheroes, which I think was one of the things that attracted Guillermo to it was that um, the purity of it and uh, the non-commerciality of it. You know, the- now, you've seen the trailers, right? So you, do you have, from what you're seeing in the trailers, do you, what do you think so far from what you're seeing? Does it got your... Intrigue? Just got your attention, or is this mm. looking kind of lame? Mm. Or okay, so that first trailer that was like a Moni Moni, Moni Moni. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, that's a fun song. They played at weddings all the time because it's fun. <laughs> uh, doesn't scream Hellboy to me. Uh, I saw the design of David Harbour's Hellboy. He he his Hellboy's hair was totally loose and down, mm-hmm. whereas Hellboy always has it tied back. Again, yeah. this is this is me being uh, a, a book nerd. But the thing is, Ron Perlman's Hellboy, he looked like Ron Perlman. Like he wasn't unpleasant to look at. He you could believe that Liz would fall in love with him. He wasn't. Whereas David Harbour's face. 
I uh, burn it. Burn it with fire. Like kill it. <laughs> he looks like an evil demon. He looks evil. He looks like a demon. And yeah. yes, Hellboy is a demon. Hellboy is maybe inherently evil, but but that's the whole thing about his character is he's not maybe or is he? I don't know. But I I just I just want to kill it. Get rid of it. <laughs> Go away. Go away. So you're like the mother with who tried he tried to save the baby. You're just. <laughs> You're just gonna judge a book by its cover. Um, uh, judging a book by its trailer. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but like I said, the whole money, money, like that's that. It's like, like I said, that's a wedding song. It's like a super fun song. It's like they're overcompensating. Yeah. Like, I think that whole first trailer, they were trying to ride the back of uh, Thor Ragnarok, trying to make it fun and, um. Uh, I'll buy that. Yeah, kind of. Let's get some more style and substance and all this other stuff in here, and have a little, a quick little hit tune that. Well, lack of substance. Know. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. There's more style over. That's what I meant to say. Style over substance. Mm-hmm. And just uh, have like a little hit song they could throw in there that everybody knows. Um, yeah, I just think there were because that that came out right after Ragnarok just went crazy, and um, that was that long ago. Yeah. Wow. The thing is, okay, it's 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 directed by Neil Marshall. I don't know if he's written it. I like Neil Marshall a lot. He wrote okay. and directed uh, some off some really really great cult, small budget type films, like Evil Dead level type cool films like The Descent and okay. Dog Soldiers. Do you ever see Dog Soldiers? I haven't seen Dog Soldiers, but I've seen Descent. Yeah, so he's he's a really cool. Uh, genre director and he's he's he back in the day he he was like an old school uh game of thrones director he directed uh battle of the blackwater season two watchers on the wall season three like really really action heavy episodes of game of thrones mm-hmm. so i really like this director a lot and i like david harbour and, and it's like it's good ingredients but um I think I'm a little biased because, uh, you know, because my love of, of, of Ron Guillermo. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, Mike Mignola, the, the creator of Hellboy, was very heavily involved in the production of those two movies because Guillermo he's got cred- He's got writing credits, right? I think. I think he's... he might. He might. Because Guillermo, as an artist, he wasn't going to be like, I'm going to take this story. No, he wanted to invo- he wanted to envelop... Mike Manola in the creation and production and design and of everything. So, you know, he respected the the creator enough. So this new movie, I don't know if Mike Manola is is involved at all. But uh, the visuals, you know, th- there's there's shots of Hellboy with his full horns and 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 the, the flaming uh, crown riding mm-hmm. like. Uh, a dragon. Dragons and shit. I mean, that that looks cool, and I like I like David Harbor. You know, I right. like him in Stranger Things. I liked him in um, the Newsroom and 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 End of Watch and all sorts of cool stuff. He's a good actor. I, I love Mila Jovovich. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised she hasn't played a villain yet. Yeah, but uh, I'm hopeful. Hopeful. Okay, I'll I'll second that. I'll say. I'll say hopeful also for me. 
I'm going to try to go in there with a blank slate and just no <laughs> expectations. I envy you and then. I'm going to go in there with a t-shirt that says, I love Guillermo and anyone <laughs> who doesn't, fuck you. <laughs> and I'm going to watch the movie and when the movie credits are rolling, no matter what, how good it is, I'm going to be like, fuck this movie, Guillermo. Todo Guillermo. Guillermo es la vida. <laughs> Love Guillermo. So, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that I'm like hating about what I'm seeing so far, but uh, I don't know if they can pull it off story-wise. That's my only thing. Hmm. But we'll, we'll see. Um, so, anticipations, we'll say uh, scale of 1 to 10. I'll say I'm at a 7. Maybe 6.5. 6.5 or 7. When you say what, what does that mean? Anticipation does it mean that's what you expect the movie to be? Just uh, being uh, anticipating the movie coming out, just in general. So just, um... I mean, anticipation. I'm at a zero. Por guero, por Ron, por Rancito. Okay. I have no expectations. <laughs> I bleed, Guillermo. Pero. Uh, could the movie be good? This movie doesn't stand. A, this movie doesn't stand a chance with you. <laughs> Not with me. No, no, no. That's the thing, though. I, I could be. I could be easily swayed. Is my level of being able to be swayed at? Is that a, a, a level we can say? Like I said, I love Dark Soldiers. I love the Descent. Doomsday is yeah. kind of good. He's a good director. I like Neil Marshall a lot, but he's not. He's not. He's not Gamro. Obviously, he's not a visionary director. You know. He's a genre director. He's like uh he's like he's a little like Sam Raimi. I equate him with like a Sam Raimi. You know, Sam Raimi when he had the chance to jump to be a studio guy, he did. He did Spider Man, he did Wizard of Oz or, or Oz Green and Powerful, you know. He abandoned the vision. You say descent, man, there's some pretty cool visuals in that one. Um it's a crazy good movie. Go watch Descent. It's yeah. so fucking creepy and scary. The claustrophobia. Oh, yeah. More than the monsters, it's the claustrophobia that scares the fuck out of me when I watch that movie. Yeah, it's pretty intense. It's so fucking good. It's so low budget. Another thing about this movie, when I'm seeing the trailers, there's like, um, it's, besides Hellboy and Professor Broom, like, there's no other characters that I don't, I mean, I'm looking on IMDb right now. There's no other characters that are carrying over from the last movies. Liz, Abe Sapien. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I get that. I get that they want to differentiate. I think they want to stand on their own two feet and be like, we're our own franchise. Yeah. However, you can't do Hellboy without Professor Broom. This time, it's being played by uh, Ian McShane, an actor I really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a really good actor, although he. Even when he does like um, genre type movies, like um, that that Hercules that have the rock in it, uh, or things like that, you know, or or the uh, or the Huntsman, Snow White the Huntsman, when he was one of the dwarves, he's still always he's like Teflon. He always comes off as just coming off as this elder statesman of of British acting. You know, he always has that air of class about his performances. Yeah. Um, he's taken the role over from John Hurt. By the way, him and John Hurt, old school buddies, used to share a flat together. Used to be roommates. Hmm. Them two go way back. They're old buddies. So 
sadly, yeah, like I said, we lost John Hurt, but um, I think he, I think John Hurt would like that uh, Ian would be taking over this role. But he doesn't look like Professor Brew. Like I said, John Hurt looks like him. The glasses, the goatee, the crazy Albert Einstein hair. He just Ian looks McShane like doesn't Ian look McShane. Like <laughs> he looks like Ian McShane. He just looks like Ian yeah. McShane. That's, that's all he does. So, like, no so what the fuck, Ian? I'm, I'm calling you out, Ian. What the fuck? John is turning over in his grave oh. watching you. Watching you do this thing you call acting. Oh, Why do you want to hurt John movie. like this, Ian? Yeah. Ooh, ooh. This is a celebrity feud between me and Ian McShane. <laughs> Oh, it's like man. half a celebrity feud because only one half of it is an actual celebrity. <laughs> okay. Uh, we stopped talking about Hellboy a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's about time to wrap this one up. So yeah, Probably best before I start uh, insulting a lot more Hollywood people. And plus, I look at how long we've been recording. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a long episode. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kevin Feig, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut that. I <laughs> All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, listening to us talk about Hellboy. And uh, uh, we're kind of curious to see what the anticipations are, what, how this new movie is going to turn out, too. So let us know what your thoughts are uh, when the movie comes out. Tell us which movie. Did you, did you like Golden Army more than the first movie or the other way around? Let us know. Also, no. tell us. And if you didn't, then you're a piece of shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's obviously superior. Yeah, sure. So, um, and you can always contact us through uh, social media at facebook.com slash popculturerewind. And uh, also give us uh, um, some suggestions, ideas on maybe some things that y'all want to hear us talk about. Um, you can also subscribe to our show through iTunes um, or on our website at popculturerewind.com. We're also on Stitcher. Uh, so anywhere, or Podbean, uh, anywhere that uh, you get your podcast from, just do a search for us. You'll find us. So, um then it's going to call a show this time. So, always remember to pop your culture. Later.
I like how you, you mentioned like Kronos and then Mimic. Um, which, you know what? To be honest, I didn't know he did Mimic. Are you looking at his filmography? Yeah. I, shit, I don't even think I've ever seen Mimic. Have I seen that one? Charles S. Dutton is the shit in that movie. But, uh, it's like I said, it's a, it's a cool monster movie. It's a cool idea. It's cool to see what a young Guillermo sort of... It's like his... The faculty, you know? It's him being a studio mm. guy in a little bit. Yeah. You know, showing like, Hey, I could do a job. You want? You got a job for me? I'll show you what I can do, you know? He's a yeah. hungry young filmmaker. It's his faculty. Okay. I don't think he... I don't think he would... When you go back and look at his filmography, now that he's an established filmmaker, you know, eh, maybe it's not worth bringing up, but... Because he didn't write it, per se. Mm. Or at least it wasn't his concept. But you could tell why he was attracted to it because he loves monsters and bugs and creatures and. Um, well, anyways, he's screen story, screenplay. Credit. Screens, uh, but the studio went total scissor hands on that movie, and they oh, okay. they, they 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 tore it from him. He had a vision, and they they sort of fucked it up. He released a director's cut recently, and he talks about how it's a bit closer to what he wanted. But he talks a lot about the ending he wanted. He wanted to end it on a down note, basically where the humans get wiped out and the monsters win. <laughs> and, hmm. um, anywho, um, all right, you ready to jump back in? I yeah, want to talk just a little bit about, about Pan's Labyrinth. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. 